Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer news, rockin' America. Soccer Hello and welcome to episode 129 of Soccer New Rock in America, featuring my now 11-year-old co-host and daughter, the recent birthday girl, Person Noob. Hello! Yeah, I'm relatively new to following soccer, only been doing it a few years. She is comparatively new to being alive. She's been person noob for a while, but hey, it's a branding issue and it ain't changing no matter what she might want. She likes it though. Also, welcome to what we are deeming a very special episode. We're going to be welcoming former Major League Soccer Chicago Fire General Manager and current founder and CEO of Midwest Premier League's Chicago House team, Peter Wilt for a conversation and then an interview previewing the house's open cup match versus forward Madison from Adnan of Sports Mag Babel. We are so grateful that both of them were willing to share their time and expertise and knowledge with us on everything related to this match and their leagues. It's going to be so much fun. For those of you who are tuning in because your affiliation of fandom for those two particular teams, um, I can't timestamp you. I don't know the particulars yet, but I will tell you that we do our matches our match previews in chronological order. So if you really need to fast forward and just get to one or both of those interviews, they're going to be fairly near uh, the end of the episode. The uh, match previews and some other fun segments that we're going to have in between will probably take uh, a, uh, well over an hour. And then uh, the two interviews are uh, about 90 minutes. So this is we're not normally a three-hour show. This is a very, very different one. It is essentially two episodes in one for you. A magnificent double episode. Maybe we'll send it out with a holographic image or something. I don't know. So I'm soccer new, new to the sport, and I've decided to follow every men's top league in the world, as many as well as many top women's leagues, uh, major international tournaments. Just decided that we're going to learn everything all at once from the entire globe. Now, our show does have an American uh, lean per the name, but we will give you our 10 match mini previews from literally anywhere in the world. If a match is important where it's being played, doesn't matter if it's globally important or if it's uh, South America, Asia, Africa, out in Oceania in the South Pacific, it's important where it's being played. It is on our radar and under our consideration. That allows us to cover matches that no one else does. Along with our some of our weird, wacky segments you're going to hear in between or within the matches, you're going to find that uh, for better or worse, this is an incredibly unique show. Our week runs for the episode from Friday, March 31st through matches on Thursday, April 6th. Let's dive right into those now with... 
Yeah, normally when I stop right there, that's where you hear person noob say match number one. But we're going to do things a bit differently for reasons that will become clear later on and start with the bonus matches instead of the 10 made 10 matches. So thank you very much to everybody who voted on Twitter for these unusual matches in the polls. Soccer Noob USA is how you can take part in that the first is a first versus last place matchup that we dramatically call the... Route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, 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 week. The roadkill match you have voted for is a Sunday match from the Japanese WE League. It's in its second year of existence under this name. It is the new top flight for the women in Japan, where they are halfway through their season. There's no international berth on the line because there isn't a full-fledged women's champions league yet, at least not that one that is truly analogous to the one on the men's side, but we hope that that is coming soon. Neither is there any relegation out of this league, which would otherwise be relevant because your matchup is number one, Urawa Red Diamonds, very unusual. Usually in this league, it is the team out of uh, Kobe that is number one. They are playing host to number 11, last place Albirex Niigata. Uh, Red Diamonds, they currently lead Kobe by just one point of goal differential. Yes, things are very, very tight. Uh, And the Red Diamonds have a match in hand, so advantage to them. On the other end of the spectrum, Albirex Niigata, they trail two different teams by four points. So their fate is hardly sealed, but this isn't a game where they're really likely to uh, make up any ground on the road against the number one. With the two teams player played earlier this season, it looks like it was somewhat close. The Diamonds got a 2-1 win. Let's talk about Urawa first. We always talk about the home teams first. They play out of the city of Saitama in the uh, greater Tokyo area. They're about 15 miles north of there. Uh, the name Urawa is... One that was a former city was merged with, I believe, two other cities to form what is now known politically as Saitama. They've got a cool nickname, the City of Water. Uh, Part of the reason for that is this is still a big agricultural area. They have a lot more land than other cities. Uh, There used to be canals everywhere, and they were lined with willow trees. That was another, had to do with another nickname for the city. But all those canals were filled in for roadways, boo, back in like the uh, earlier mid-1960s. The uh, men's and now women's side, they are my favorite teams to follow in all of Japan, maybe even in all of Asia, because uh, the way the management once described this to me, the management is our editor and producer, and that is how he is known. Uh, In describing Saitama to me once, basically said it is the Jersey Shore of Tokyo. So I'm pretty sure their club motto should be Jim Tan Sushi. Yeah, make what you will of that. I think it's a great idea. Last season, this team finished in second place in the league's first season. Prior to last year, the top league was called the Nadashiko League One. It still exists, but it is now the second division. Uh, the new uh, WE League is actually fully professional. They won the title four different times in the Nadashiko League, most recently in 2020. They also won this year's League Cup, which was a uh, sort of a secondary tournament, but is a knockout bracketed tournament like the NCAA basketball tournament. 
tournament, basically, and it was only for teams from this top league, I believe. Their defense is good, but their offense is really where uh, what's keeping them so competitive. They're getting almost two and a half goals per match, and they are number one in that regard. Tied for number one in league scoring with five on the season. Key player Yuki Sukasawa, who I would like to uh, nickname uh, Sugar, because I think that's a cool last name, S-U-G-A, it starts with. She plays forward. International footy fans on the women's side might know her well. She's got over 80 national team caps for Japan. Team's current form, they have won three straight matches. Uh, those all came after a 1-2 road loss to Kobe. And now Albyrex Niigata. Uh, Niigata is the most populated city on the west coast of Honshu, city of about 800,000. Their best Division I finish ever was uh, third place back in 2015. Last year, they weren't uh, quite so poor as they are this year, but they were uh, below average. They were in eighth place. The problem, uh, their offense isn't that great, but they have tied for their worst defense, giving up one and a half goals per match in a league that isn't all that high scoring. And they've got the worst goal differential. I suspect that they'll finish the league here in the basement. Nevertheless, they do have a, a really good player in Yume Takikawa. She plays midfielder. He was the team's scoring leader having netted three times on the season. Team's current form, they've lost two, two straight matches after their only win, which came against another team that's close to the bottom. But hey, it was a road win against Parcero Nagano, and we're always looking for reasons to think that maybe, just maybe, we could get an upset in the route of the week. If they can get a road win there, it gives us at least a little bit of hope for when they're going to play in Saitama. Could you be... The most meaningless match in the world. Yes, you could. You're so boring. <laughs> Ripping off the late great Prince. We're not ashamed to do it. We're happy to because we love that song. And this is not to make fun of these teams. This is a celebration. The most meaningless match in the world. Going to talk about two teams that are more or less in the middle of their table. Certainly equidistant from the glory of international bursts finishing near the top or the fear that comes with finishing near uh, the bottom in the relegation zone or even last place entirely. Two teams that can, in a manner of speaking, just sit back and relax. The most meaningless match of the world you voted for is a Sunday match from the Pro League of Nigeria, which is the 11th ranked league in all of Africa. Uh, the top two teams will get to go to the Champions League. The next two teams will get to go to what's called the Confederation Cup, which is the second best international club tournament in Africa. It's basically their version of the Europa League. Uh, the top three teams, by the way, from this league, uh, there are two groups, and uh, they don't play in between the groups throughout the regular season, but the top two from each of the two groups will go to the domestic league playoffs. On the other end of the spectrum, two out of the ten from each group will get relegated at the end of the year, and they're about halfway or so through the regular season. Your meaningless matchup. Hey, we got to do it. Who else is going to? Uh, from Group B, number six, Doma United versus number four, Niger Tornadoes. Currently, uh, the Tornadoes, they lead Doma by two. They trail Lobby Stars by just one point. This league is actually very, very close. So in order to rank, they are in the meaningless part of the table. But in terms of points behind, uh, this might be somewhat of a meaningful match for them. Meanwhile, uh, on the other end of things, Doba United, they lead number nine Wiki Tourist by seven points. So you can see they're clearly safe from the relegation zone. Uh, 
When the two teams played earlier this season, the Tornadoes won 1-0 at their place. Can Doma turn it around when they're at home? They play out, I think, out of the city of Gombe, which is the capital of the state of the same name in the northeast part of the country. About half a million people there. Uh, The largest group there are a really interesting one called the Fula or Fulari, who are the largest pastoralist group, I think, in the world, at the very least Africa. What that means is uh, they're nomadic. They raise domesticated cattle, but they let them free graze and they move around with them. Uh, There's also a lot of farming in this area. And interestingly, uh, here's your most meaningless fact. We like to do that. Uh, There's a big anti-snake venom production facility there. But I'm not 100% sure that's where the where they actually play out of, because I do know that there is also a city called Doma that is smaller in a different part of the country, north central in the Nasarawa state, about 150,000. So take your pick. I wasn't able to figure out which place they're actually from. They were one of four teams last year that got promoted up from the National League, which is the second division in this country. Uh, Their defense is pretty good, but I think they largely parked the bus because they're not even scoring a goal per match. They have uh, only the eighth best offense, even in their group. Uh, Their overall goal differential is... uh, you know, number six. So they're probably going to stay right about where they are. Team leading scorer with three is Musa Usman, who plays defender for them. So probably getting some wing back time in there. As is so appropriate for the most meaningless match, team's current form in their last three, one, one, and one. And now Niger Tornadoes out of the city of Minna, which is the capital of the Niger state, in uh, sort of the central, west central part of the country. A lot of agriculture there as well, but this is in the uh, mid belt of the country where you tend to find a lot more gold mining as well. Said he's got well over 300,000, I believe now. And now your most meaningless fact, although I think it's kind of cool. Guara Falls is a neat place to visit when you're there. The locals used to make sacrifices there. I don't know if they were human or animal sacrifices. I double checked what I read didn't say, but I can tell you that they only stopped in 1925, whatever they were doing, after Europeans discovered the falls and turned it basically into a recreational area. The team's motto is Icon Allah, which means power of Allah, or God. It's very, very spiritual, and I think very, very cool. Uh, they don't have any honors in Division One, but twice they have won the second division, most recently 2015. But they do have a top-flight trophy of sorts. In 2000, they won the FA Cup, their bracketed knockout tournament. And then the next year after that, they actually made their lone international appearance ever and made it to the quarterfinals of the Confederation Cup. Last year, the whole league was just in one group, and they finished in 12th place out of the 20. So pretty meaningless then as well. This isn't going to be the most exciting game to watch, unless you really like defense, if you're able to find a stream of it. Their offense isn't very good either, but they're tied for number one in defense. So it's another small ball team. They only give up about two goals every three games on average. Uh, What little offense they are getting is at the feet of number three league scorer, He's got five goals on the air. David Okoromi, he's an attacker, just 20 years old. Team's current form, they're unbeaten in their last four. They have won three straight. Interestingly, that followed a streak of six matches in which they didn't win any games at all. And now for your third and final bonus match where darkness descends. Welcome to the fresh hell that is the match of... Disappointed! Well, Faith and Begara... This is Seamus Fitzgerald reporting to you from Ireland. 
I finally made it as a guest on the Soccer Noob podcast. This is the greatest honor I've had since I was named Ireland's premier football commentator, and that's according to an unbiased independent study that I did myself. Now, please understand that the background sound of this recording might be a bit unusual. Football commentating in Ireland is not a highly paid profession, so I supplement my income by herding sheep in the off days. Uh, now, oh, wait a moment. Muriel, quit nibbling on that microphone cord. Get away, get away. Oh, all right, back, back to you. Uh, now, we want to talk about, coming up Friday, the match of the disappointed. It's the League of Ireland Premier Division, which is ranked 36th out of 55 European leagues. They just passed Finland and still trail Latvia and Liechtenstein. It's sponsored by a company called Airtricity. And given the quality of this league, maybe Atrocity would be a better name for it. But anyway, the match we're looking at is number 9, St. Patrick's Athletic, versus number 10, UCD. Now, UCD trails St. Pat's by four points in the standings. All-timer somewhat recent series, St. Pat's is 7-6-3 against UCD. Now, the St. Pat's nickname is the Super Saints. I don't know if they wear capes or have a big red S on their chest. or, But anyway, their motto is no strength without unity. And it really could be just no strength. The, the, their crest is strange. It's a weird shape that looks kind of like a boat's steam stack sticking out of the water. I guess maybe something being sunk might be appropriate for them. They have a below-average offense, less than one goal per match, and a truly awful defense, allowing two goals per game. Their most disappointing player is their goalie, David Odemuso. I don't think that's an Irish name. He's 22 years old and has only kept one clean sheet the entire season. That is, allowed no goals for an entire game. He was called up for the Irish under-21 national team, but he never played for them. And now, maybe that's because he's 22 years old. Now, their best player, uh, let, let, let me rephrase that, their least worst player is Vladislav Kreide. Again, I don't think that's Irish. He's a central midfielder from Estonia. He scored no goals and has one assist. And he's the least worst player. He's not a good passer for a central player. And he has 21 Estonian national team appearances, which maybe tells you something about the Estonian national team. The other team is UCD, which stands for University College Dublin. University College. Doesn't that come from the redundancy department of redundancy? Maybe. Their nickname is, get this, their nickname is the students and college. I don't think they have a marketing or advertising department. They were founded in 1895 as the Catholic University Medical School, and they play in Dinroghair Rathdown. They have never won the league, 
And in 2016, they made their only international tournament in the 1900s, since the 1900s, or even the 1800s. A long history of mediocrity. Last year, they finished ninth in an eight-team league. They tied for the worst offense, and they have very much the worst defense. Their most disappointing player is their goalie, Larkin Healy. And he's English. Well, there you go. He's 22 years old, came over from Club Maidstone in the English fifth-tier league, which is barely professional. Their best or least worst player is Ciaran Behan, an attacking midfielder who has one goal and no assists. Not a very offensive attack. He dribbles great, but he's the worst passer I've ever seen. University College Dublin has lost every match since an opening day 1-1 draw. The students, yeah, what a wonderful nickname for them. So there you have it. We have bad and badder. And this is your old buddy again, Seamus Fitzconigal, reporting to you. Wait a minute. Muriel, stop that. I told you to get away from the... We will not shoo them away and move on to our main 10 matches, but rather we will heckle them and shoo them away in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Get them away. Hey, boo. boo. And now we can get cooking with the main 10. It is time for... Match number one. No Friday matches were shiny enough to make the cut this particular week. We start on Saturday, match number one in Major League Soccer. We are, all, we are quote unquote, rocking America after all. For those who are brand new, because we are noob and we are hoping that we are attracting, attracting burgeoning fans as well. In Major League Soccer, it's early in the season. There are Eastern and Western conferences. The top nine from each of those two conferences will make the final playoffs. Both conference winners will go to the CONCACAF Champions League, the big one for the whole region, Mexico, Canada, Central America, the Caribbean islands, plus at least one other team. And I'm not sure that includes the playoff winner either. But even though we're rocking America, we do have some expatriated teams uh, that are involved in the league. Two of the three Canadian ones are playing one another, so we thought we'd take a look at that. It's not the greatest matchup in the world if you look at the table, but on the other hand, it's very, very early. So, number 11 in the Western Conference, Vancouver Whitecaps, playing hosts to Club de Foot, or simply CF, I believe the official name they just abbreviated now, CF Montreal, who were in last place, number 15 in the Eastern Conference. Exciting for them, this is the very first year ever that Canadian clubs can qualify for the CONCACAF Champions League via, via league play. In the past, it didn't matter what they won in Major League Soccer. The only way for them to get to the CCL was to win their FA Cup tournament in their own country, which was just basically the uh, the three teams from Major League Soccer that are in Canada and then several other ones from various other leagues. It didn't have a whole bunch of a chance. You can catch this match as you can most every Major League Soccer matchup on Apple TV. You'll need MLS Pass. It's going to be on at 10.30 Eastern Time. The series between these two in recent seasons, dead even, 7-1-7. and seven. So draws are few and far between. We like to see that. 
We start with talking about the hosts once again, Vancouver. Their official nickname might be the mask, uh, might be the Whitecaps, but I really like their mascot. It's a big old kingfisher bird, which is local to the area. Best they've ever done in the league was back in 2015. They were runners up internationally. They've gone to the uh, Champions League two different times. 2016, they made the semifinal. That's the best that they've ever done there. Last year, they finished in ninth place in the conference, which means they missed the playoffs. That would be good enough this year, though. So far on the season, their offense is a little bit above average. Defense is a fair bit below average. I think they are going to make the playoffs this year, but just barely. Best player they've got going on the season right now, in my opinion, or at least most valuable, is their uh, defensive player, a right back named Julian Gressel. He actually, while he officially lists as a right back, you'll find him in right uh You'll find her everywhere on the right side, all the way up to fully offensive positions. He's actually tied for second best here early in the season, assists with three. He was a really nice pickup out of D.C. United from last year. An interesting stat I found, the problem that they're having so far on offense is that uh, they've got one of the two guys in the league who is missing the most big chances at a time when a goal should be happening and isn't. That is their striker, Brian White, who has been much better in the past and I'm sure will be again. So far, he has no goals and no assists on the season. He is holding up the ball while 82% passing accuracy. A key loss they had in the offseason was Lucas Cavallini, their forward. He left for a Tijuana in Liga MX, the top flight in Mexico. Uh, he had, I say he was a key loss, he should have been more of a key loss. In the last three seasons, he scored just 18 goals. That's not terrible, but they expected more out of him. A key addition that they have made in the offseason was they brought in a center forward to replace Cavallini from Venezuela named Sergio Cordoba, but he won't be in this match. He's actually uh, injured and is expected to be out a couple more weeks. Looking at the Major League Soccer pundits, about half of them say that they'll miss the playoffs entirely. Only one of them has them as high as number eight. The problem is going to be defense for this team, just like it was last year. Team's current form, they have managed just 1-1 uh, draws in their last two games. And now, Club de Foot, or CF Montreal, they joined MLS in 2012. They're an older club than that, but they were playing in other leagues before that. In the CONCACAF Champions League, they were runners-up in 2014-15. Last year, in that event, they lost in the quarterfinals. As far as in the league last year, they had a very good season, overachieved compared to uh, their stats, but they ended up finishing second place in the East, only made it to the conference semifinals for the playoffs, though. While they are in last place right now, they do have a match in hand on most teams. Since they're not the favorite today, I don't know that making up that match will help too much. The problem is most definitely their offense. They have the worst one in the Eastern Conference. They're only getting three quarters of a goal on average per outing. The best player and most valuable one they have right now is definitely on the defensive side. Their center back, Joel Waterman, who was in the Canadian Premier Division last year with a very good team for that level, Calvary FC. Uh, he's very solid overall on defense, good passer, good dribbler. Uh, team scoring leader, too, but I think that he'll stay their scoring leader for most of all of the season, is their Honduran striker named Romel Kyoto. He's been here since 2019 after having come up from Houston, where he probably liked the weather a little bit better. Another key loss for them, in the offseason, their coach, Wilfred Nancy, 
he left for a different major league soccer team, Columbus Crew. Their new coach, it's hard to say if he's going to be a new fit or not. He doesn't have a ton of new players, but he's got a much more uh, pedal-to-the-metal offensive style than what Wilfred Nancy had. So will it be square pegs and uh, trying to fit into round holes? Uh, we're not sure with eight of their starters back. Their most key player loss was Jordi uh, Mihailovic. Uh, their American attacking midfielder went over to Dutch side AZ Alkmaar, not in the big three over there, but definitely the best of the next tier. They're having a great season with him. Key addition they made in the offseason, Aaron Herrera, American right back. He came over from Real Salt Lake. Almost all the pundits have them missing the playoffs this year, probably largely because of that coaching change. Team's current form, they just won their first match. A really nice scalp to get even at home, 3-2 versus Philadelphia. Match number B. Before we get into our next Saturday match, new listeners, you do not hear that wrong. Number B. It's the replacement for that awful bathroom talk that is number two in our world. We encourage you to join our revolution. Listen to it in action right now and see what you think. Match number B comes to us from the Bundesliga, the top flight in Germany. It is called Der Klassiker. We'll get into that in a little bit. This is the third ranked league in all of UEFA. That's the European Confederation, which means they max out on European berths. Their top four finishers will all go to the Champions League and their next three will go to two other tournaments. So we'll talk about another time. Your matchup is number B. Bayern Munich, who win everything all the time, and yet somehow they're not in first place this week. Taking on number one, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund currently lead them by just one. In turn, Bayern Munich, they lead number three, Union Berlin, by four points in the table. In recent years, uh, Bayern have had the best of it. They've accrued a 22-7-12 record against Dortmund. When they played in Dortmund earlier this season, Dortmund only managed a 2-2 draw. Not bad. Will it be good enough? We'll find out at the end of the season. You can catch this edition of Der Klassiker because this is a big rivalry. 12.30 in the afternoon Eastern Time on ABC and ESPN Deportes. We'll talk about Bayern first. Veteran footy friends, I encourage you to not fast forward through this. You never know what you're going to pick up that might be new. Now, this is the number one team by a lot. They're getting almost three goals per match, and that is a lot for any number one team in the big 0-4-5-6 leagues in Europe. They've got the number one defense as well, and the number one overall goal differential by close to a factor of two. They are still very much your favorites to win the league, in my opinion. Key players tied for number three in league scoring with 10 is Jamal Musiala, a German-born attacking midfielder, just 20 years old. And he's also tied for number three in assists with eight. He won't be playing in this one. He's out with a hammy until mid-April, though. So the guy they'll be leaning on a little bit more for scoring, tied for number four in that regard with 10 on the air, is Eric Maxim Chopu-Moting from Cameroon, their striker, who spent the heart of his career with a much weaker team, kind of a yo-yo team, bounces back and forth between the uh, top two divisions of Germany named Schalke 04. But their most valuable player, I think, on the year is their defensive midfielder, Joshua Kimmich. Four goals, four assists, so not just defense. He's a 90% passing, uh, he's got a 90% passing accuracy rating as well, and a pretty decent tackler. Uh, that's not really his game to be that physical. He more uh, gets a lot of interceptions. He tracks back well on defense, and he knows the system. He's been here since 2015. Team's current form, they just had a four-match win streak snapped, uh, two to one at number eight, Bayer Leverkusen. So there's the recent reason that they're not in first place. Now, Dortmund. 
not quite as internationally reputed as Bayern Munich, but they are in the top 20 of all European clubs. They have eight titles to their credit. 2011-2012 was the last one. Just three of them have been in this century, though. They've won the Champions League one time. That was back in 96-97. The best finish they've had this particular century, 2012-2013, they were runners-up. Last year in the league, they finished in second place, losing out to Bayern, who won something like nine out of the last ten titles, I believe. Uh, the defense is very good, but the offense is pretty is you know is better. Quite frankly, they're getting well over two goals per match. They're about the only team in the league that can really flirt with keeping up with Bayern in that regard. On the scoring leaderboard with them, with eight on the season, is Julian Brandt, German board attacking midfielder, who also has four assists. He is injured. But there's an outside chance he'll be ready for this game. I wouldn't bet on it, but I wouldn't be stunned either. Uh, their next best scorers are an 18-year-old striker named Yasufa Mukoko and then a veteran uh, named Marco Roos, who plays attacking midfielder. It'll be interesting to see which of those two uh, steps up potentially for Julian Brandt. But their most valuable player and second best in the league in assists with nine, Rafael Guerrero, their Portuguese left back. He's also got three goals on the year. This is a, a, a very pressing team, as you can tell. He's been here since 2016, came over from French League One side Lorient. Teams current form, 1-1-1 one, one, one in their last three, but it's worth noting that that loss was on the road at Chelsea in the Champions League. Match number three. We stay on Saturday on the calendar and turn our attention to the Champions League of Africa. They're in their group stage, and they've reached the very last match. The top two teams from each of the four groups in this event will be going on to the knockout round. The most key matchup by far still remaining to be played is number three, Al Ali, in their group, taking on second best Al Hilal Omdurman out of Sudan. Halal currently lead Al Ali by three. Uh, because of the way the tiebreakers work, though, any win from all Ali out of Egypt, the main power on the continent, uh, will move them into second place and on into the knockout round where they really belong. I would be stunned if they don't get a win on this, but I'm not going to take any chances. Now, when it comes to gambling for that, we turn to our 3,500-year-old prognosticator, the mighty, mighty oracle that is Noob Stradamus wandering the world, but taking time from that to sit down, have a drug-aided or drug-addled vision to tell us how to bet on this thing. What say you today, O oh mighty soothsayer? Greetings from the Thracian plains of Greece. Tis I. Even the newborn spring winds are cutting here, honing me to become a holy oracle with no equal. A soccer score you seek, mortals? Very well. Per our covenant, Noob has sent the fresca, so I am honor-bound. <sighs> so I partake of the lotus leaf and travel once again through space and time. Whee! Darkness descends in my noggin. When it lifts, I stand before the Sphinx of Giza, cut from the living rock. Yet in my vision, it speaks to me. It has the soccer knowledge I seek. 
It asks, the famous legs riddle. Pfft, a lazy warm-up. Man is the answer. The Sphinx grins bemusedly. It says, there are two sisters. One gives birth to the other, and she, in turn, gives birth to the first. Who are the two sisters? In the waking world, this is a noted riddle of the mythological creature, just far less known. But I know, and quite frankly I feel insulted, sneering, day and night are the sisters, further and forever birthing one another. <laughs> Sphinxy clearly doesn't like my tone, but a smile quickly replaces the, his momentary frown. Fine, one more and you will have earned your quest knowledge. What is constantly pregnant, day and night, month after month, year after year? I fall to my knees, having no recollection of such a riddle in my long life. I bow my head. The Sphinx gives me the answer. Your mom. Confound it! Did I just seriously suffer the first mom-zing in ancient history? <laughs> I'm taking myself out of this cursed vision. As I ethereally fade from this dream world, I hear it cry out, No! Al-Ali win 3-0! to zero. Duh! The vision fades, and I wake to the physical realm once again. There you have it. Hope it was worth it. I have seen and I have spoken. Match number four! That was rich and rewarding. I enjoyed that very much. Hey, we did a little learning. I uh, hadn't known about that uh, kind of secondary sphinx riddle. I only knew about the one with the legs where the answer is man. Anyway, match number four. It's another Saturday match. We come back closer to home. Liga MX, the top flight in Mexico, where the seasons, as they are in most Western Hemisphere Spanish-speaking countries, is divided into two separate stages or seasons uh, called the Apertura opening and the Clausura, the closing. Liga MX is about uh, two-thirds of the way through the Clausura stage right now. The top 12 teams will all make the playoffs. The top four will get buys into the quarterfinals. Internationally speaking, uh, the top two from the stage will get to go on to the CONCACAF Champions League from each of the two stages, actually. And then one other team, the best, uh, the best team that doesn't finish the top two in either stage, as you would imagine. Your matchup is number B, Club de America versus number three, Leon. Let's take a look at the top, whole top of the table. Moderate, they're running away with things. Uh, 31 points. Leon in second place with 24. Now, seven might only seem like a medium amount, but remember, these stages, they only play a single round robin, not a double round robin in each of these. So that seven is a really huge gap. Club de America are one more point back with 23. And then Toluca and Pachuca are sitting at 22. So it's going to be a game of musical chairs between those last four teams I mentioned trying to get the second, third, and fourth buys when it comes to the league playoffs. The series between these two in recent years has been very easy and a slight, slight edge to Club de America. They've recruited an 11-5-10 record. 
When they last played in the Apertura stage, Leon got to host, and they won in a shootout 3-2. to two. Kickoff for this one is going to be at 9.05 Eastern Time, and you can catch it on Univision. Club de America, they are known as the Eagles, and play out of the capital, Mexico City, at the famous stadium, the Azteca. So tough when international teams go to play there because they're not used to the altitude nor the crowd. Talk about a home team advantage, 87,000 people, one of the largest ones in the world. This is very much an international team. A lot of the clubs are a little bit more like this, but Club de America have long since had a reputation for spending a lot of money and bringing in a lot more international players than most other Mexican teams. And so they are probably the most hated team as well as the most loved team in all of Mexico City and the world. They have a motto that basically translates to very loosely, uh, they hate us because they ain't us. Supporters really, really love that identity. This team has won the league title 13 different times. Last time was the Clausura stage of 2018. Seven times they have won the CONCACAF Champions League. Last one, 2015-16. They've won two in the last 10 years and three this century. In the Apertura stage this season, uh, well, they won that in the regular season. And then the playoffs, they lost in the semifinals. Their defense, I don't think, is good enough to win this stage. They are just barely above average. But they do have the number one offense going, getting two and a quarter goals per match. It's good enough for a top three goal differential. Number one scorer by a fair bit so far this stage has been Henry Martin, the Mexican striker for them with 11 on the year. He is also tied for second best in the league with four assists. Another key player to uh, look for, and I do hope that you'll watch this one on Univision, number one in successful tackles per 90 minutes. You love watching these physical players. He does it almost five times per match. That is Jonathan Dos Santos. Uh, his tackle rate is not actually all that far above 50%, but his volume on attempts is just massive. Seems like it's about all he wants to do is try to take other guys down. And American fans will remember this well out of him because he played for the LA Galaxy until recently, although he spent the heart of his crew at Villarreal over in the top flight in Spain. Team's current form, they have won two straight, and they just have one loss so far in the seven matches. Leon. Coming to town, they are known as the Green Bellies, Los Panzas Verdes. I always think Panzas is going to be pants. Green pants would be a very sheen, very weird nickname, but I know that's pantalones. The reason they're called the Green Bellies is it harkens back to uh, the traditional industry of leatherworking in this area. Uh, when you're wearing one of those vests and working with it, you end up getting a lot of green on your shirt. They are known as the Wild Beast, which I really enjoy because we don't like teams that are nicknamed the Lions here because that is so cliche. And even though they are out of a city of Leon, they have chosen to go with Wild Beast. I really appreciate that. And that alone makes them uh, one of my more favorite teams. They play in uh, Central America no, excuse me. They play in the central part of Mexico, not in the Mexico City proper area, though. It's the biggest city in their state, has about one and a quarter million people. They've won the league title eight times, most recently 2020, three times in the last decade and this century. The 2000s were not great for them. The 2010s have been. They also won an event versus a bunch of MLS teams called the League's Cup in 2021. In the Apertura stage this season, they finished just in 10th place. That was good enough to make the uh, playoffs barely, and they lost in the very first round. 
Their offense is okay, but they've got the number one defense going in the league in defense travel. So if they really want to finish in second place or maybe even daydream about catching Monterey, they got to get three points here and pitch a shutout, so to speak. They do have a top four goal differential as well. Offensively on the scoring leaderboard of five on the year is Victor Davila. He is their Chilean central forward. And then another interesting player that I found um, leading the league in goals per 90 minutes is Brian Rubio, striker. He's made nine appearances. I guess they they must not play him uh, quite as many minutes as some other players for him to be leading this particular stat. Interesting, he's on loan here from a, a much poorer club, Mazatlan. Also, interestingly, he's number one by a lot in the league in fouls committed per 90 minutes. He's doing that almost five and a half times per match on average. Not a friendly guy, in my opinion. Uh, The best or most valuable player they have going, though, is Yero Moreno, their Colombian left midfielder. One goal, three assists, lightning quick. He's a very good dribbler, and it also means that he gets a ton of interceptions when he's tracking back on defense. Team's current form, they have won six straight, and they are undefeated in their last 10 outings. Match number five. We move just a little bit further south for our next bit of Saturday action. Say hello to the Primera División of Costa Rica. The top flight there is in its Clausura stage. According to a website I like called Kick Algorithms, this is the fourth best league in our region of CONCACAF. They're effectively tied with Honduras. In this league, the top four teams are going to make the domestic playoffs. Three teams from uh, between the two stages, Apertura and Clausura, at the end of the year will go to a brand new event called the Central American Cup. This is going to be a feeder tournament for the CONCACAF Champions League. It's probably going to be each of the two teams that wins their stage and then the best non-stage champion. And they're about two-thirds of the way through this particular stage. The matchup is an absolute classic. There are three big teams down there. These are two of them. Number B, Alajuelense, playing host to number one, Saprisa. Saprisa currently lead them by three. When I scouted this game a few days ago, it was actually tied. Alajuelense, they lead number three, Herediano, by uh, two points. And that is your other team that rounds out the big three historically in this country. But that's all of a preview you're going to get this particular time, because this is the time of show that I let my daughter take over, my co-host, the star of your show, who wants to do her own special segment. Aminals. Aminals. Aminals from around the world. (laughs) Have we settled on a melody for that song exactly? Yeah. Oh, we have? Okay. I wasn't sure. All right, you like to talk about animals because they are cute. What animal that is endangered are we going to talk about today? The squirrel monkey. Central American squirrel monkey. And what is its status? Endangered. Mm, It used to be, uh, it hasn't always been endangered, has it? Uh, there were more in the 1970s. Yeah, they haven't done too well over the course of uh, my lifetime and certainly yours. Um, I see in the notes that we did that they're also known as the... The red squirrel. Which is really funny because actually the color is... Orange. That's crazy, an orange animal. That sounds weird. What else? Is there anything else orange? Uh, well, not really. They have all... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, their hands and feet orange hands and orange feet. What else does it look like? What can you tell us about it physically? Uh, olive green hips and shoulders, white undersides, 
and a distinctive black and white face mask. Uh, and it's just under a foot tall with an average weight of two pounds. Only two pounds? It, that squirrel monkey really is a squirrel. It's a mm -hmm. tiny one, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and it has the biggest... Uh, it's... I'm sorry. It has the biggest brain to overall body size of any of any primate in the world. Wow. You like uh, you often like to say that you like to be big brained, and that is seems to be one of your main goals in life. Well, compared to their size, these guys really are big brained. Mm -hmm. I also read somewhere that they're said to have intelligent faces. Do I have an intelligent face? Don't no. answer that. I can see I can see you thinking way no. too hard on that. All right, where do we find this guy? Uh, the Pacific Coast of Costa Rica as well as Panama. Mm -hmm. And are they all over the place or no? No, they're mostly in two national parks. Yeah, pretty pretty small area where they are. And in fact, I know that Panama, they're only in like the uh, one far tiny little corner of the country, almost exclusive to Costa Rica. So uh, I know that I want to eat them. What do they eat? They eat plants. They're omnivores. Yeah, omnivores. So they eat plants and... Meat. Yeah, they eat everything. They Does that mean you. it's okay for me to eat them? No. No, even if they were to no longer be in danger, could I eat them? No. Ah, why not? Because they are just tiny animals. Oh, yeah, and they're very cute. You always pick cute animals, basically, don't you? All right, and we found some interesting information about one of the ways that they hunt the bats that they eat. What can you tell us about that? Oh, uh, they go after tent-making bats. Tent? What do you mean by tent? Oh, it's a bat that sleeps in a folded leaf in a tree. Mm -hmm. And then how does the squirrel monkey go after it? Uh, uh, the squirrel monkey gets higher than the bat and then jumps down on the, tent to, on the tent to knock it out of the tree. How would a squirrel monkey say, Geronimo! <laughs> and so then it is to eat it right there or what happens? Oh, uh, if a bat does not fly away in time, the squirrel monkey jumps down again and... It. Which is okay, because bats probably aren't quite as cute as squirrel monkeys, are they? No, but don't eat bats unless you're a squirrel monkey. <laughs> That's fine. I, I, I won't eat a bat or a squirrel monkey, at least not that I'll tell you about. And uh, are, a lot of the animals we've done that are endangered, just because there are so few of them, they tend to be in very small groups or be solitary animals. Is that the case with squirrel monkeys? Uh, no, they just have 20 to 75. 75? They could have almost a whole American football game with that, complete with benches and everything. Although that would be weird to see squirrel monkeys playing a game. No All right, what can you tell us about uh, the, how the males and females behave around one another? Oh yeah, uh, egalitarian. Females do not form dominance hierarchies. Uh, males uh, only do so at mating time. That is really interesting because there were so many animals, uh, each gender, particularly males, whichever is the biggest or the strongest or can fight the best is usually the most dominant one all the time. And it gets to pick who it wants to be. It's female. And even the females have an, uh, you know, have a hierarchy, but they're, they're egalitarian. These are very equal, very sociable with one another. I think that's very nice. That makes it one of my favorite, uh, favorite animals. And how long do they live? Uh, around 15 years. Okay, so kind of like a cat. And what sorts of things are dangerous for them? Um, well, the predators are raptors, ca cats, and snakes, and threats are deforestation, hunting, and they're being made pets, apparently. 
Ooh, they could be made. Well, maybe we're not supposed to make it a pet. No, that's kind of sad because it would be really cool to have one, wouldn't it? Yeah. And uh, I can safely say that the best way that they can, uh, you know, help preserve these things is to support the national parks down there where they're currently found. And then people can Google up and find out if there are any zoos to have them that are trying to increase their populations. Mm -hmm. And now for the surprise, get ready to be inundated in your brain, person noob, and react accordingly. I'll bet you know it's coming. Pictures of baby squirrel monkeys. We're sorry that you, the listeners, can't see them, but it's fun hearing a uh, person who react. Oh, look at that one. That one's so cute. Yeah, what's he got? He's got a little block. Yeah, so if the average adult one is like two pounds, how big do you think these are? Like half a pound. Oh, my goodness. And look. Not one, but two <laughs> baby squirrel monkeys in, in Chicago at the Brookfield Zoo. One's on top of the other. And look, there's a human baby. And, and look at monkey. and the squirrel monkey. Now look, a per, an adult person, at least I assume it's adult, is holding it. Compared the size of that hand to the size of that squirrel monkey. They're they're about the same size. Yeah, it, it can kind of sort of fit in its hand, and I think it's wrapped in a tissue of some kind. I thought it was holding a cane or some kind of weird toy, but that's a piece of the baby's chair in the background. Wow, these are so exciting. They are so cute that I almost don't want to literally eat them. Now I just figuratively want to ooh, eat them up. Figuratively, like because they're so cute. Oh. Not for real. Dad likes to eat tiny things. Yeah, I want to eat all the endangered animals. I think they're, I think they're endangered because they're all delicacies. So thank you so much for helping introduce us, because you picked the animal yourself, to another one of the cute... Aminals, aminals, aminals from around the world. E. When tiny felines invade the show, we know that it's time to do a recap of last week's matches. Does it make sense? No. Does it need to? Of course not. Match number one from last week was a Friday match from the AFCON qualifiers. Number B, Cape Verde from their group, played host to number three, Eswatini. They played to a nil-nil draw. No change in the table there. Match number B, another Friday match from the UEFA Euros qualifiers. We looked at number 14, Czech Republic, taking on number 11, Poland, who was the home side, getting a 3-1 victory early in that event. Saturday, match number three, Major League Soccer. LAFC took on Dallas and got a 2-1 win on their pitch. Man of the match was Timothy Tillman. He had goal, guy that we said to look for, yay us. Match number four from Germany's Frauen Bundesliga. Yeah, the women's side, number B, Bayern Munich, number one, Wolfsburg. Mott, uh, Bayern did it at home, nil one, so we are one nil, so we have a new leader there. They switched positions in the table. Match number five from the NWSL. North Carolina Courage and Kansas City Current faced off, and the Courage started their season with a 1-0 win. Match number six from the second division of the U.S., the USL Championship, Tulsa versus Loudoun United. Tulsa drops the hammer and got a 3-0 victory. Match number seven from England's WSL, the women's top flight there. Number three, Manchester City, and number one, Chelsea faced off, and it was City getting a 2-0 win. That moved them up to number B, and Chelsea 
down to number three. It's going to be a fabulous at least three-team race, maybe four over there. Match number eight for the CONCACAF Nations League, number 14, Cuba, played host to number 17, Guadalupe, and Cuba got a 1-0 win. That means that Cuba will get to the Gold Cup. Uh, Guadalupe, they finish in second place in their group, and they also get to go to the Gold Cup, but will have to settle for starting in the preliminary round. Wednesday, match number eight, UEFA's Women's Champions League quarterfinal round, the second leg of the home and away two-legged tie between Barcelona and Roma. Things went as expected. If you like underdogs, this wasn't the great one. Barcelona got the 5-1 win. Italian soccer for the gals is coming around, though. Match number 10 from Nigeria's Pro League. Number one, Lobby Stars. Number B, Rivers United. That ended up getting postponed, uh, delayed because of Rivers United's impending Confederations Cup appearance. So we'll try to pick that up in a future episode, maybe. And now bonus match results with explanations to come. Well, actually, explanations already did come. I usually say a little bit later, but we started with those. Last week's route of the week was Wednesday match from the Premier League in Kenya. Number one, Gor Mahia took on number 18, Mahiga Bullets. And you voted well on the Twitter polls. Gor Mahia, yeah, they slapped him around 5-0. Then the most meaningless match of the world. We went to the Persian Gulf Pro League of Iran for number 11, Malaban, taking on number 10, Havadar. The road team got a 1-2 win, and that would have it are up to number 9. They both remain so far from danger, so far from glory, equally meaningless, just as they were. And then finally, your match of disappointment was a Sunday match from Nicaragua's Primera División, where they're in the Clausura stage. Number 9, uh, Municipal Jalapa took on last place. Number 10, UNAN Managua. Appropriately, they played to a 0-0 draw. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's jump back in. To next week's previews with match number six. Apparently, I am calendar noob as well. That last match was, in fact, a Sunday match, as is this one. More tournament play going on in Africa. We looked at the Champions League before. This time, Sans Noobstradamus will take a look at a match from the Confederation Cup. Yeah, that secondary international club tournament in Africa. It too is in its group stage. And just like the Champions League, it is in its last match. So high drama. The top 12 leagues in Africa get to send two teams to the Champions League, by the way. They also get to send two teams to this particular event. There are 16 teams left divided into four groups of four. Each group is playing a double round robin home and away between each pair of teams. The top two teams from each group will advance to the bracketed knockout round. Your matchup is number B from their group, USM Alger, out of Algeria, of course, versus not so obvious where they're from, which is Libya, Al-Akdar. Let's take a look at the whole table for this group. Maruma Galantz out of South Africa are guaranteed a spot already. They have nine points. USM Alger, they're just one point back at eight. Uh, there's a team called St. Eloy Lepopo. I don't remember what country they're from. But they and Akdar are at five points each. Eloy Lapopo have the tiebreaker on head-to-head play. When Akdar, when these two teams play, by the way, Akdar got a 1-1 draw at their play. So this is a really tough road match for them. So knowing the head-to-head or the tiebreakers, I've looked at everything. Here's what you need to know. If currently number four Akdar win, and it doesn't matter what the score is today or this day, Sunday, they will move ahead of current number B, their opponent today, USM Alger. But 
if St. Eloy Lapopo win their last game, then they will still remain ahead of Akdar, in which case I think like both teams will be, you know, out of the playoffs entirely. So let's look at our matchup. USM, they are known as the Union and from the inner suburbs of the capital city of Algiers. Internationally, the best they've ever done was in the Champions League 2015. They were runners-up. Their last international appearance was also in the Champions League. 2019-20, they made the group stage. They just barely qualified for this particular event for this year by finishing in fourth place last year in Algeria's League One, the top flight in Algeria which, by the way, is the number three ranked league in the entire continent. They had to enter at the second qualifying round and then had to win what's called a playoff round match after they advanced from that against the team that dropped down from the Champions League, you know, uh, that lost in their second qualifying round. A very tough opponent, that's the important thing. In this event, they beat Cape Town City, nil one on aggregate and a home and away two-legged tie. In the group stage, Their offense has been good, but they've had the best defense going. In their league currently, they are in fifth place, once again with a good offense, but a really great defense. The goals they're getting, by and large, coming from Ayman Mahias. He scored six times on the league season, and he's well inside the top 10 for the league in that regard. Team's current form, they are 1-1-1 in their last three across all competitions. And now the Libyans of Al-Akdar playing out of the city of Beida, which is the number four size city in the country on the northeast coast. About 400,000 people there. If you're wondering about the club name, I don't know what it translates to necessarily, but I can tell you that Akdar is the name of a nearby mountain range. This is a big fertile kind of uh, valley and then, not valley, but a big fertile plain agricultural area, particularly famous for its Honey. So if that name, uh, Beda, sounded familiar, or even Akda, depending on the brand, that's why. Two times this team has been to this tournament, the Confederation Cup. 2008 was the most recent one, and they made the second qualifying round. They qualified for this year's events by finishing in third place in the Libyan Premier League last year, which, by the way, is the 10th ranked league in all of Africa. They had to start from further back because the league was ranked lower. They had to go in at the uh, first qualifying round. So they had to advance through two rounds and then play in a playoff round to get to the group stage where they beat a very good team from Nigeria, Plateau United. It was very close, 4-4 to after their home and away two-legged tie, and then they won on away goals as the tiebreaker. Their offense is about equal to that of USM, but their defense is the worst in the group, and I think that's going to be their bugaboo in this particular game. They're not having a great league season either so far. Even with a match or two in hand against other teams, they're in seventh place out of their 10-team group. Uh, uh, really good defense, but the offense uh, is only so-so. So they, they've uh, they've had one set of problems in league play and another one here internationally. Hard to say what they'll do except probably lose against uh, USM. Team's current form, they're unbeaten in their last four, and yet they only have one win in their last nine matches. Match number seven. Our only other Sunday match takes us to the Paraguayan División Profesional, where they are in their Apertura stage. This is going to be our only visit to Conmebol this particular episode, which is the main South American football confederation. This is the fourth-ranked league, according to Kick Algorithms, in South America. What this means in terms of international berths, the two stage winners will get to go to the Copa Libertadores, or Champions League group stage, and then the two best non-stage winners 
will also get to go to the uh, Copa, but they'll have to start back in the qualifying rounds. They're about halfway through the opening stage here in your matchup. It's another classic one. Two historical greats of the three there. Number one, Libertad, taking on number three, Cerro Porteño. Let's look at the whole top part of the table. Libertad, lead with 22 points. An upstart, as far as I'm concerned, named Guarani. They're at 19. Then you have Cerro Porteño in seventh in uh, third place at 17. And another historical power, Olympia, one more point back at 16. Libertad have had the slightest of edges in recent years, accruing in 1916 and 14 record against Cerro Porteño. And we will talk about them first. As is the case with most of the professional teams in this country, they play out of the city of Asuncion, and they are known as the Repolleros, which is the cabbage. Yeah, I, I didn't catch the why on that when I was doing my research, so your guess is as good as mine, but I like it just the same. Uh, they have the third most titles in the country's history with 22. They have been to the Copa Libertadores 20 different times. 2006, they made the semifinals. That is uh, the more recent of the two times that they managed to get that far. In the uh, 2022 Clausura stage, the last completed stage, they finished in fourth place, but fear not for them. They actually won the Apertura, and that's why they are currently competing in the Copa Libertadores about to start the group stage, just like their opponents today are as well. Uh, decent enough offense, but they've got the number one defense or offense, but they've got the number one defense in the league, just giving up a half a goal on average. And they are tied for number one in goal differential. The offense they're getting tied for number three in scoring with four on the stage is Lorenzo Melgarejo, who spent the heart of his career. Uh, European fans will recognize him from having played with Spartak Moscow, one of the good teams over there. Team's current form. Uh, they've lost only two matches on the stage, and uh, the last one was one to two at Olympia. And now, Cerro Porteño, they also play out of the capital city. Uh, they are considered the number 17 ranked club in the entire continent, and just a, a little ways outside the top 100 worldwide. They are known as the Cyclone. Not as funky as Cabbage would be, but still a very cool nickname. By the way, uh, the club named Cerro Porteño is named for a hill that was named after a battle that they fought against uh, the Argentinian army a ways back. They, I believe, are second best historically in league titles. I know they won 34. Last one was the 2021 Clausura stage. Six different times they have made the semifinals in the Copa Libertadores. Last time was just over a decade ago. In this stage, they are undefeated but they've got five draws, hence the reason they are not leading the league so far. Last year, they finished second best in both stages. Uh, this year, they've got the top offense going with two goals per match. They're the only team doing that. Defense is a little above average. Uh, the top scorer for them, he's in the top 10 of the league, is Claudio Aquino from Argentina, plays left midfielder for them. Team's current form, they've won three straight matches. So many people with so many queries in their life that they don't know what to do about it. They have come to you for your child wisdom for a segment that you have named. Um, it's called Questions Will Be Answered Today. <laughs> That's right. You put in the long pause and the ellipses the first time you ever came up with this. So it, it's not Questions Will Be Answered Today, is it? No. Questions no. Will Be Answered 
today. Today, yeah. And then that really drives the point home. So thank you very much to everybody on Twitter uh, who responded and gave us some questions and some old time friends of ours. Uh, let's start off with somebody we've never had a question before. Uh, this is our friend Tassos, who is part of the uh, uh, This is Mappa Cypriot. Uh, that's the country of Cyprus, uh, Premier League and other divisions. They have a podcast there and our friend Tassos, who you've never gotten to meet because whenever I talk to him, he's always you're always at school. Uh, but he sent a question. He says, which out of all your aminals, the ones we've talked about, are your number three, number B? And yes, he used number B, so he is a good friend. And number yeah. one, animals. All right. Um, uh, My favorite animal that we've done... Uh, would probably be, um, yeah, I like um, the monkey that that we did one. The squirrel monkey. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have any other? Do you have any other top picks that you can think of right now? No, nothing comes away. What about that one that was sort of like sea coral? Oh yeah, I like that one like a, like a number three probably. It uh, that was number three, and then uh, no selections for number B. I kind of liked that. Uh, not that I was asked, but I, I sort of like that uh, uh, that bird from the Azores Islands off the west coast of like Portugal. Oh yeah, a, no, a number two was that one turtle dude. Number two. <gasps> oh no. Oh, that's okay. You just I make that mistake all the time. <laughs> it's late and you're tired. I could barely keep you up to do this, couldn't I? So you were allowed to say number you know what every once in a while. All right. So the turtle, so the turtle you covered once is number B, coral number three, and number one, the squirrel monkey. I think that's recency bias because you just did that today. All right. Our friends from the Brian and Me podcast, they want to know which is your favorite Roblox game. Hmm. I like be a parkour ninja. Parkour ninja? Yes. You get you get awesome swords. And you get like these little discs you can throw and like smoke bombs and then you can like jump you can like jump across walls and like jump onto stuff and you and you kill people. And yes, death and violence, destruction. Yeah. I'm a fan. All right. Let's skip ahead to a few questions from our dear friend Franco, who when you if you if you ask him nicely for questions, he really comes through. All right, uh, when it comes to candy, what do you prefer? Chocolate or fruity candy? Chocolate. Chocolate candy. I'm a little bit surprised. I thought you would go fruity. So we're getting to know you, all of us, including me, a little bit better. All right. Ice cream cake. This is a good question for you. Not that you had ice cream cake, but it was your birthday uh, just like a day and a half ago. Happy birthday to Yay. you, person who was 11. Ice cream cake. Is it overrated? Yes. It's overrated. You're not a big ice cream cake person? No. But you like cake and you like ice cream, right? Ice cream is... Cake is okay. I don't like it that much. Not a huge cake person, and yet you're kind of into cupcakes. What kind of cupcakes did you get for your birthday? I like red velvet cupcakes and cakes. So. Mm, I might have one when you go to sleep in a few minutes. Yeah. All right. Oh, and there's a cupcake question. I know the answer to this pretty much. Cupcakes or muffins? Cupcake. Why cupcakes? Because sprinkles. <laughs> That's right. Sprink if, you put, if you put sprinkles or frosting on a muffin, isn't it pretty much automatically a cupcake? No, they're they're more different than that. Okay. You, you, you need like the icing. All right. What flavor is the? And I'm going to quote this exactly from Franco. What flavor is the best artificial of all the artificial flavors? That flavor. What? <laughs> Franco, your question has been met with uh, been met with derisive confusion. Yeah. 
What flavor is the best artificial flavor of all the artificial flavors that flavor? Like I am uh, the, the opposite for me, for example, I love mangoes if something is made of real mango, but if it's an artificial flavor, I do not care for it. I can take or leave regular bananas, but Chunky Monkey ice cream with the, the banana flavored ice cream, I absolutely love. That might be my favorite artificial flavor that's specifically artificial. Can you think of one that you like? Yes, also I have a fun fact. Oh, go ahead, please. So if you take, so um, if you have a mango dum-dum and like, and like you put your teeth and tongue on it, it, it's like you're biting into a mango. So like I can just bite into an artificial mango. It tastes just like one. Okay, so are we going with mango? Is that your answer? No, blue raspberry. <laughs> so we went all that way for nothing. Blue raspberry. Mango, mango is like very which do you like better, regular raspberries or artificially flavored raspberry stuff? Both. Uh, it's a tie? Yeah. Or a draw, I guess we would say in soccer. It's a draw. All right, we're going to go back to Brian and me for the last question. They want to know when I'm going to be replaced. Hmm. Which I thought was harsh and yet a fair question. Well, here's this. If your parents say, give me your show, you legally have to give them your show... So basically, whenever your parents ask for it, I think maybe they want you to replace me as the host, or or maybe they just want me gone and and don't care who comes in. Oh, I'm getting a hug, Brian and me. This is uh, not worked out as you how you expected. I think some of this is because she's so tired after big birthday times the last couple of days. Soccer guy will never be replaced. I'm oh, I'm never going to be replaced. Well, that's lovely. Thank you so much. You have made the show and you have made my night. Thank you so much. And that was questions will be answered while you're half asleep. Oh, wait, that's not the name of it. Give it to us. Questions will be answered today. Match number eight. To invent a word, it appears I once again miscalendared. I do, in fact, have one more Sunday match for you from the Caribbean, specifically the French Overseas Department Island of Martinique. Their top flight is called the Division d'Honneur. They are not a member of FIFA since they are not their own country, but they do get to play in CONCACAF events and they get to play in the uh, FA Cup over in France, the Coupe de France, which is really exciting. This league, in terms of CONCACAF, is rated number 17 by kick algorithms of the 18 leagues that they take the trouble to rank. Uh, more than half the uh, country's top leagues, mostly due to the Caribbean island nations, they just don't get enough international play to, to really be able to base a ranking on. When it comes to Martinique, they have already finished their regular season, and now the top six teams, well, the top three from each of the two groups, are playing in their own double-round Robin championship round. Interestingly, the points do not carry over. They all started over at zero. All you do is qualify, and you got the same shot as anybody else. They are three matches into the ten that they will each play. Now, my guess is that the top two teams will go to a new tournament going to be called the CFU Cup. Like the Central America Cup er, that I mentioned earlier, this is going to be a feeder tournament for the CONCACAF Champions League. Your matchup is number one currently in the champion round, Club Franciscane versus number B, Samaritane. They're tied on points in the table, Franciscane. They only lead by two on goal differential. 
Uh, the last time these two played earlier in the regular season and Francis Gain hosted, it was they who won 1-0. We'll talk about them first. Don't have a lot about either of these teams, but let's learn what we can. They play out of the city of Le Francois, which is in the east central part of the country, about 15 miles outside of the capital, which is Fort de France, a good bit over 15,000 people there. They have the most league titles in the territory's history, 19 of them, and the last one they won was 2018-2019. Internationally, in 2018, they won an event called the Caribbean Club Shield. Uh, What you need to know about that, it was the uh, lesser of the two tournaments, more for amateur league associations, the other event being called the Caribbean Club Championship. So still a pretty big deal that they won it. 2015-16 in the Coupe de France, They made it all the way to the round of 16. That is insanely far for one of these, uh, you know, overseas states, basically, to go to the mainland and be able to do that. Last year in their domestic league, they finished second best in the regular season and then lost in the playoff final. This year, they finished the regular season in second place in their group. The league is divided again into the two groups. Uh, The very well-balanced, third-best offense, fourth-best defense, all led to having the second-best overall goal differential. They're very good. Team's current form, they are 2-0-1 in the champions round, and they have won two straight. And now Samaritain, which, as you can guess, is a uh, restating probably a local creole of Saint-Marie, which is the name of the town that they play in. It's in the more northeast part of the island country, about 15,000 people there as well. They've just won three titles. 2019-20 was the most recent one and the only one that they've won here in the 21st century. Last year, they finished in fourth place in the regular season, and so they missed the playoffs. This year, they finished in third place in the regular season, two points behind Francis Gain. Yeah, they played in the same group. Another pretty well-balanced team. They, I don't want to say struggled, but they weren't quite as good on offense. They had the fourth-best goal differential, overachieved a little bit, should be moderate underdogs in this particular road match. Team's current form, they too have won two straight and are 2-0-1 on the championship round. Match number nine. After all that hard weekend tracking, you deserve a break, New Bites. Take Monday off. We'll get back into it Tuesday, match number nine. We're off to Poland for some minnow watching. Here's what that means. First of all, you always minnow watch during an FA Cup, a bracketed knockout tournament that in most countries involve teams not just from the top flight, but from uh, one or maybe even several tiers down the country's league pyramid. In England, it goes all the way down to like number 10, which is crazy. In Poland, the teams go down uh, to the fourth tier that get to compete in this. And it's a big deal to win it because you get to go to the Europa Conference League, the tertiary international club tournament in Europe. And it would be a really big deal for our home team from this particular match to get to go. They won the coin flip. They will be hosting mighty Legio Warsaw from the extra class of the top flight in Poland. The team I'm referring to is KKS 1925 Kalish. They're from the third tier, and uh, that is named after the city, Kalish, in central Poland. But as much as we would like to learn a little bit more about them, this is the time of show where Noob starts to get hungry, gets that rumbly 
tummy, and we always use soccer as an excuse to learn other things about the world. This is our culture break, and by other things, I usually mean food. Rather than a recipe, this is going to be a bit of a shorter one. I discovered that there is one food that this area is famous for in the region, or uh, probably all of Europe, in fact, uh, based on one of the factoids I have here. Uh, the food is Kalish Andrut's. It's a dessert, and Andrut, A-N-D-R-U-T, when it's Latinized, is a thin, baked, and just lightly sweetened wafer. Now, these are not tiny little things like, say, community wafers from church. I assume they're crisp, but they're about as big around as uh, what I would say a standard uh, pie is. Pretty cool. They've been baked here since all the way back in the early 1800s, and it is exclusively made this particular way in this region. In fact, in 2009, it made the list for the European Union's Geographical Indications and Traditional Specialties list. Without getting into the particulars, basically what that means is nobody else can call what they're making uh, Kalish Andrats, or maybe even Andrats in general, at the very least Kalish. They have to be made in this area and get certified, probably because they get to charge a little bit more for them. I have a feeling they would be very hard to find in America, even in international grocery stores, but I intend to find out, or at very least, try to maybe uh, find for you know find a way to get them from Amazon or somewhere else online. And match number ten, we're done. Finally, our last match is the one so many of you I think have tuned in in particular for because of the interviews that we have coming up. It comes from the second round of the U.S. Open Cup. That is our bracketed knockout FA Cup. That's not only for the professional teams here in the U.S., but just like we were talking about with Poland, you get teams from several levels down the pyramid for soccer, all the way down into amateur leagues here in America. The matchup we're going to focus on is Forward Madison out of League One, that is a Tier 3 league here in the States, versus Chicago House out of the Midwest Premier League. I suppose they would be considered maybe a Tier 4 uh, league. It's, uh, things are a little sketchier and it's not exactly official when you're talking about anything below uh, the third tier here. I believe that you are going to be able to catch this on the uh, team site for Forward Madison and it might not be the only place but you should be able to Google it up and actually be able to watch this match there. I believe that the winner is going to get to play Pittsburgh Riverhounds out of the USL Championship from what I saw. That's the way the bracket seemed to look, though it was kind of partial bracket, partial just listing. It's entirely possible that they'll just do a random draw when it comes to all the teams in the next round. Either way, they're both excited to be here, particularly Chicago House, and they're the reason that we're doing this particular match. In a previous episode for the first round of the Open Cup, we picked a match with Chicago House in it because we didn't know anything about virtually any of these lower level teams. So we picked it because of the team that Chicago house beat, which is called Bavarian United out of Milwaukee. And we picked them because uh, they had the honor of being the uh, the American national amateur champion. Now we weren't rooting one way or the other, but that was the reason we picked it. But Chicago house ended up getting the, Getting the 1-0 win, a little bit of an upset. Bavarian United are very, very good, and we've decided to stick with them because when we covered this match, we got all kinds of pleasant engagement on Twitter. So for those of you who are here because of your affiliation or fandom of Chicago House, 
Thank you very much for discovering us, whether you fast forwarded to get to this point or stuck it out through the whole show. We sure appreciate it. I am going to start out by giving you a very, very mini preview before we get to our interviews, uh, mainly for Forward Madison, which won't be the you know the primary focus of the interviews. Again, they play out of USL League One, a very new team founded in 2018. Last year, they finished in ninth place, fairly near the bottom of that league. Best they ever did was their very first year. They finished in fourth place. Last year, and for the second time, they made it all the way to the third round of the U.S. Open Cup. So this is not new territory for them. Uh, 2023, I believe they've only played one match so far this year, and it was a draw. Last season, to get a feel for what the character of this team is, they had tied for the worst offense in the league. Uh, The defense was a little bit better, but still not great. They were giving up almost a goal and a half per game. Uh, Key player for them, and still uh, are no longer with them, but it was Matheus Cassini was their best player, Brazilian attacking midfielder, but they lost him to a different League One team called South Georgia Tormenta. Key addition they made in the offseason, they added a New Zealander to play central defender for them, Sam Brotherton, and he's got some interesting international experience because of where he's from. He played for Auckland City, which is the best team in all of New Zealand, albeit still semi-professional. That country's teams play in the OFC, the Oceania Football Confederation, and that Auckland City team, he has won the Champions League with them. They've won it many times over there. They also added a fellow named Christian Cheney that I want to mention, who had 10 goals last year with a different League One team, Central Fuego Valley. Quite a pickup. As far as what little I can personally tell you about Chicago House, again, they play out of the Midwest Premier League. They were founded in 2019. Uh, well, the, the league was. The club was founded in 2021. Last year, they finished in fourth place in their league. Based on what I think I found, it looks like they were uh, pretty good on defense, but wildly inconsistent on offense. We'll learn plenty more from our two interviewees about Chicago House. Let's lead things off with Peter Wilt, founder and CEO of Chicago House, former general manager of Major League Soccer's Chicago Fire. I know. I don't know how he ended up here either, but we're not into asking questions. We're just going to live with the mystery. And he is also someone I believe who's had a hand in uh, many soccer teams and non-soccer sports teams all over the Midwest, getting them started and up and running. My conversation with Peter Wilt begins now. Welcome to Soccer New Brock in America, where we cover the game from all over the world, and our name is sort of a joke, except for that I truly am new to the show. Now, a lot of our guests, Mr. Wilt, have been confused. They seem to think that we are soccer news instead of noob. I didn't have to get past a gatekeeper with you. You knew what you were getting into to some small degree. Would that be fair? Absolutely, and I love the fact that you're new to the sport. It's a perspective that... uh... I think those of us that have been in the sport a long time uh, need to hear and see. Uh, It's fun. We concentrate a little bit on on the American scene here, but uh, really my daughter and I have decided to just tackle literally the entire world at once. We scout to some degree almost every single men's uh, top flight FIFA league in the entire world. But then when it comes to America, we do some of the quote unquote lower divisions. Although I, uh, given your, uh, your position currently in the industry, I hesitate to use even the word lower. <laughs> no, I embrace the term lower. I, I like uh, the soccer usage of lower division as opposed to other sports 
they call it minor league. And I, I suppose the differentiation across the world with the term lower division is the reflection of promotion and relegation, which unfortunately uh, we don't have in this country. Yet. Right. And you're a, you're a fan of pro. Uh, you're a you're a fan of pro well from what I understand it. I want to get into that in a little bit. Uh, one other question I feel like for our listeners uh, to know, um, because he does characters for us on this show, uh, I've got to ask: um, Are you my dad? No, <laughs> both of my parents are still with us. We won't go down that road. My dad does characters for the show, but other than other than a guy who runs a podcast uh, regarding the top flight in Cyprus, I think you're the only uh, you're one of the only guests we've had. So I wanted to clear that up for the listener. Uh, so one other thing, not so much a question, but just a safety measure here, uh, Mr. Will. Blink twice if you're doing this against your will. Oh wait, audio audio format that won't work here. All right, so uh, let's start off. Uh, let's start off catering to some of the people who are brand new to the sport, like me. I've done some uh, research since uh, accepting your gracious, uh, you know, acceptance of being on this show. You are currently the CEO of Chicago House. Do I have your title correct? Sure, managing partner, CEO. And truth be told, I'm also the Cabana Boy. <laughs> so on Twitter, when I asked for the, when I uh, wanted to get the Cabana Boy, I uh, I didn't realize I was getting both at the same time. That's wonderful. Happy to join you. Well, what sort of refreshments do you do? Do you prefer poolside? I guess that's an important question we need to ask. beer drinker and i created a beer called schlaps which which yeah i read about schlaps uh, that uh that sounds better than pubaritz it's easier to pronounce by a little bit anyway Now, having done some, uh, you know, having having had a portion of your CV built up in uh, in in Wisconsin, uh, have you ever considered? Uh, have you ever considered up from uh, to something sort of? Uh, I'm not going to say craft, but it's more regional. Have you ever combined a lining kugels with anything fun? Yeah, you know, I do like lining. In fact, uh, yeah, lining has been owned by the Miller Brewing Company for a long time, but. Uh, back in, gosh, 1985, the summer of 85, uh, when I was working for the Milwaukee Admiral hockey team, my boss and I took a fishing trip up to um, northern Wisconsin, and we stopped by Chippewa Falls to tour the Lining Kugel's Brewery. Gorgeous. And that's when it was a standalone little small-town brewery, and it was a wonderful experience, and I even bought one of those backyard outdoor thermometers, lining Google thermometers, that I still have hanging in my backyard, gosh, almost 40 years later, oh. still keeping the temperature uh, well. So I would consider a lining Google, but I wouldn't mix it with anything. In fact, I, I, I really don't like uh, the lining Google shandy, where they mix it with, like, lemonade 
That's a, a bridge too far for me. Oh yeah, well that's all right. We don't have to agree on anything. I'm a summer. I'm I like them all, but I am a summer shandy guy. I do have to confess. Okay, next beer question because who cares about soccer? Um, so schlabs. I don't mean to be too aggressive with this, but so what's your problem with hams, man? Uh, <laughs> I said, "What's your problem with uh, what's your problem with hams?" Uh, when I think retro beers, oh, there are three that I think of, and you've got two of them. <laughs> oh, oh, I love hams. I'm a big hams fan, um, and I've done slams, which is Schlitz and hams. <laughs> <laughs> that would be easier to market if you could uh, get on board with them. I think so. And um, by the way, I do uh, occasionally uh, patronize. The Wisconsin bar, perhaps the world's bar that pours the most hams beer. It's in the Bayview neighborhood of Milwaukee. It's called the Mothership. And not only do they pour just a ton of hams, they have some of the best hams, retro uh, and authentic old signage, the old neon uh, ham signs that have the land of sky blue waters uh, trickling in the background. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of ham. Oh, we're going to play the audio from one of their TV commercials, I think, after this is done, once we edit this down. From the land of sky blue waters. Well, maybe I shouldn't sing it and just let the uh, real audio stand on its own. Oh, why not? Comes the beer refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gorgeous. I love somebody. I love having somebody who's a little closer to my vener- uh, closer to my generation than a couple of the other guests we've had. That's good. <laughs> So, for our newest fans, to get back for the soccer, so you're currently with Chicago House, Midwest Premier League, and uh, I'm sure anybody listening to the show that knows your name knows that uh, at one point you were, uh, of course, with the Chicago Fire. Can you take us through uh, a little bit of your uh, curriculum vitae, if you will, for some of the other teams and even some of the other sports you've done? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, I was with the Milwaukee Admiral hockey team and the mid-80s, and it was indoor soccer that got me into this sport. I um, ran the business side of the Milwaukee Wave, the oldest pro soccer team uh, in continuous operation in the United States to this day. And I spent four years there. We had some good business success, so the Chicago Power of the uh, same indoor league hired me to be their general manager, and that would have been 1990. And then uh, I went into startup mode. I started up the Minnesota Thunder, which has since evolved into uh, Minnesota United of MLS. I launched Chicago Fire in 1997. We were fortunate to win the double in our first year. I hired Bob Bradley as our head coach, and uh, he was really um, the, the, the strength behind the success that we had in those early years. Then I hired uh, Dave Sarakin after Bob, and we won the uh, Supporters' Shield in 2003. The Open Cup in 2003 and 2006, and from there I started other teams, the Chicago Red Stars, the women's team in NWSL, I think it may be the oldest continuous uh, pro soccer team, women's team in America, and uh, I've since started Indy 11 in the lower divisions, as well as Forward Madison, um, the late great Green Bay Voyagers, and uh, now most recently... Chicago House, which started in Nisa and is now competing, uh, coming up on its third season now in uh, Midwest 
Premier League. Right now, did uh, did Ch- remind me, please? Did Chicago House start in Midwest Premier League, or, or was did that team play a season in NISA? Uh, one year in NISA, uh, the 3rd Division Pro League. I started NISA as well, the Pro League, and with the idea of it being an open system league and embracing promotion, relegation, uh, solidarity, payments, no territorial exclusivity. And after one season, Chicago House um, lost its financing and had to step back into an amateur league. Uh, to continue operations, and that was the Midwest Premier League, which has been a, a great experience for us so far. Sure. Now, the MWPL, so is that entirely amateur league, or is there a semi-professional status, or is it a mix? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we call it semi-professional, but it's in the amateur council of U.S. soccer, uh, so it's uh, not part of the three divisions of the pro council in American soccer. Uh, it has a vision of splitting into multiple tiers, like Nisa's vision, uh, and having promotion and relegation. Uh, it does participate with Nisa now in solidarity payments, and it also recognizes no territorial exclusivity. So it has many of the components of an open system, which thrills me. The growth has been phenomenal. After starting a few years ago with six teams, it now has 36 teams and is on a pace to grow to 50 or 60 within a year or two. Uh, And at that point, I'm confident Midwest Premier League will uh, have the multiple tiers, albeit at an amateur or semi-pro level. But I think it has a vision that in the future it can have a professional level at the top. And that's my vision for what I want to see for the sport in America. Uh, I'm I'm not asking for MLS to implement ProRail or USL to implement ProRail. If they do, that'd be great. I think it's wonderful for the fans. I think it's wonderful for players and owners. Uh, But uh, they can operate in a closed system as they currently are. And I think another entity can independently start an open system pyramid. I think that just seeing an example of what kind of fandom an open system would bring in and the uh, just sort of the, the chatter, if you will, that that would create might, you know, who knows? It could serve. I know there are many business reasons with the franchise model not to, but uh, I would think, but, you know, just seeing an example that I would think that that would encourage MLS or maybe even at the very least USL to, you know, more heavily consider doing something along those lines. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it would uh, provide some pressure uh, by by fans and broadcasters and sponsors when they they see that other uh, there's a challenger to them doing a similar thing. You know, I, I suspect at some point MLS and USL will do some version of, of ProRail. Uh, I don't think it'll be a true open system. I think they're always going to have a I'll call it pay to play where you have to. Uh, buy your way into the league rather than earn your way through meritocracy on the field. Right. Uh, but that's, that's okay. You know, um, as I said earlier, people the different as long as, you know, an open system is really being given an honest chance and there's not uh, obstacles being unjustly put in this way. And, uh, you know, it's not easy 
And the open system advocates, including myself, have been trying it for uh, certainly for the last five or ten years, if not sooner, uh, and they haven't accomplished it. And I say, I should say, we haven't accomplished it. So I'm part of the problem. I haven't gotten it done. Um, whether it's me or others, I, I, I want to do my part in seeing an open system created. I think it would be wonderful. I've often uh, opined for the idea of like Major League Soccer. I, I realize that you know these guys, have, the owners, have put in a lot of money, and then risking dropping down might not be the part that happens. I feel like it would be more likely that you know they could open up slots for if the USL even wanted to give them up for a year, open up sort of guest slots, have an open promotional you know berth, you know for the best USL team to play up, and then some system that. It incorporates that without having anybody having to drop out of MLS, which obviously wouldn't be purely open and wouldn't uh, encourage maybe the lowest spending teams to do a little bit more. But I figure at least it might be a step. Yeah, I, there's a number of ways to create a bastardized pro rail system um, that would still be closed. You can um, uh, maneuver with uh, uh, revenues. Uh, so, for instance, MLS could split into two divisions, but they could share broadcast revenues uh, equitably between first and second division teams so that the second tier teams wouldn't be taking a financial hit on the broadcast portion. So yeah, and especially have- with Apple involved, I, I imagine that piece of the pie has uh, expanded somewhat just within the last, you know, you know, just within the last, you know, six to 12 months. Yeah, and that would mitigate um, some of the risk with relegation. There could be uh, revenue sharing in other aspects, ticket revenue sharing. There could be cross-scheduling. So maybe you play your fellow first-tier teams twice each, and you play your second-tier teams that are not in your uh, level once during a year so that they still get to see the first-tier team. There's a number of ways that you can cross-pollinate to um, keep owners happy and not risking relegation. Uh, But the truth is, owners should embrace relegation or the concept of relegation because it will increase the value of the team. It'll put more eyeballs on it. It'll increase broadcast revenues. It'll increase uh, fan interest, and it'll incentivize uh, improvement to all teams because there's a, a, a reward for doing things the right way and for investing in teams. Um, but as I said, if you know a closed system is working for MLS and USL, and that's what they want, um, I don't harbor anything against them. I think that'd be great. They can keep doing that, but I would like to see someone else put a serious effort into an open system in the United States. Yeah, it feels like NISA or a league like Midwest Premier League could be really set up to do that. You talked about expansion for the Midwest Premier League. Uh, is there any, has there been any thought with the league about going somewhat uh, broadening the region or even going national in scope with the expansion, or do they want to keep things somewhat centralized? Midwest Premier League wants to be contained in U.S. Soccer's Region 2. I believe there's 13 states in Region 2, and I believe the Midwest Premier League is currently in seven states, 
maybe eight states. So there is room for growth within the Midwest Premier League, but the Midwest Premier League itself uh, has a self-imposed limit of Region 2. That being said, there's no reason that there can't be similar regional leagues in Regions 1, 3, and 4, and that those four regions couldn't have an end-of-the-season national championship. Uh, but I think it's important that these leagues, especially at the semi-pro and amateur level, be contained in their own region to minimize travel costs. Um, yeah, I imagine that's why the South Division in the Midwest Premier League only has four teams, I noticed, as opposed to the others are much larger. Uh, I'm assuming that's all to mitigate cost. Yeah, exactly. And it's one of the reasons NISA has struggled financially because they don't have a critical mass of teams nationally uh, to reduce travel. So they're getting on airplanes uh, for most of their games, and it's very expensive in relation to the overall budget for um, a third division team. Yeah, what, you've got two teams, I think, in California, and then you've got about 1,500 miles of nothing, and then all the Eastern teams. Yeah, exactly. If you're dealing with first division or second division budgets, a national travel um, budget is not going to be a huge percentage of your overall budget. But if you're a third division pro or amateur team, you can't afford to be getting on airplanes because your overall budget, your revenues, don't offset that. No, I wouldn't think so. They need some more expansion out west for that to work. All right, want to focus in a little bit more on the house. On house, I know you guys did a thing called Moniker Madness to uh, determine what the team name would be, and everybody liked the idea of of a house, both as sort of just a general progressive uh, uh, progressive word, socio politically, and relating to uh, Chicago house music, one of the three kinds of uh, uh, you know pre. Uh, uh, BPM uh, genres that were popular in like the 80s and 90s coming out of disco. Uh, is that a name you really, really enjoyed, or were you rooting for a different one? <laughs> uh, early on, I was rooting for uh, Point Chicago, um, which was a tribute to the founder of Chicago, uh, an African-American, uh, actually a, a Haitian-American, a black Haitian-American named uh, Point Du Sable. And uh, so that was my favorite going into it. Uh, but I'm a big believer in community engagement in developing teams, building them from the bottom up, open sourcing as much as possible in the creation of teams. Moniker Madness uh, was a takeoff on March Madness where you know, we solicited uh, names uh, from the public. We received, I think, over a thousand suggestions, and we took 68 of the suggestions that we thought were either fun or solid, good ideas, and we let the fans vote on it, bracket style. What what was the uh, craziest name that actually made the the final cut? That's a great question, and my memory is not good enough uh, to remember for sure the craziest one. Uh, but there were some some wild ones out there that people were a little bit miffed and insulted because they thought it had a real chance of getting voted in. Um, it was no Bodie McBody face, which 
a fan. Won a poll, I think, in San Diego years ago for a team name contest. Um, there was, I don't know, Chicago Coyotes was supposed to be a tribute to the uh, Urban Coyotes that uh, was in Chicago. What I liked was uh, Solidarity Chicago, uh, named in honor of the, the Polish community of Chicago and Lech Walesa, uh started the Solidarity Union. Um, and I like how it sounds a little bit like United, which is, of course, much more known to soccer fans all over the world. So that's an yeah. interesting spin on that idea. There was two things going against it. One is it had five syllables. There are very few sports teams that have five syllables, especially with Chicago having three syllables that live in a mouthful. (laughs) I think the Philadelphia 76ers, even though they only have three letters and two digits, actually are one of the few teams that have as many syllables as Solidarity. The other thing going on in Solidarity is we looked into their leader, Lech Walesa, and it turns out he's not a good guy when it comes to social causes. And oh, dear. Of social causes, and we did not want to tie our, our, our name to, to, to Lech Walesa. Um, but, you know, in the end, we let the fans decide it. Brian Costin uh, was the fan who first suggested uh, Chicago House as a name. And he suggested it as mainly a tribute to house music, but also importantly to the LGBTQ social service organization, Chicago House, and to U.S. Soccer House, which is in Chicago, and to uh, the Hull House, an old social service organization founded in Chicago. Yeah, so you've got some modern and historical touch points for that name that are really diverse. That's one of the reasons. It's one of my favorites out there. You've been, in fact, involved with two teams that I really, really like, the names of Chicago House and uh, Forward Madison is another one I just love and the marketing that's been done with that. For, you know, the world's second favorite, you know, everybody's second favorite team. I think some of that stuff is just absolutely fa- uh, outstanding. But I want to ask this, and this is a twist on a, a more classic question of like, uh, if all your sports teams are uh, that you've been involved with were your children, don't worry, I won't make you pick a favorite, but worse, I'm going to go the other way. Uh, which one would you drown to save the others? <laughs> That's a safe answer. <laughs> yeah, and I feel bad saying that because I love the Voyagers brand. I love the Green Bay community. I'm actually a Green Bay Packers fan, so I was very proud of that organization. But uh, we didn't connect enough with the community uh, to justify its continuing operation. I mean, it was after I left when it was put on hiatus, officially on hiatus. Uh, but I think I'd have to go with Voyagers. Thank you for not asking my favorite because it's like asking your favorite child. Um, although two of my children are playing against each other in the Open Cup in the next round. I and, know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, forward Madison in the house. It's the second time this happened to me. I, um, maybe it was 2015 or so. Um, Indy 11 played the Open Cup at Chicago Fire in Green 
interview. And in both these cases, you know, people have asked you, well, who are you going to root for? And it's easier than you think. Uh, you, you root for the team you're working for at the time. Yeah, um, somebody's paying you. <laughs> the um, you have to. I, I know that you uh, probably have many good wishes for forward Madison, just not in this particular match. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Madison. I'm a University of Iowa grad, but I would still put Iowa City as a uh, as a, a second best as far as university towns compared to Madison. It's just all time great there. I love it. I agree. It's a great city. You know, even though I've lived in Wisconsin for over 40 years, until I worked for Forward Madison, so I started that team, Madison Pro Soccer, I didn't know the market that well. I had been there less than a dozen times, I bet. And my time there with Forward Madison, I fell in love with the community. There you uh, go. Their values, their values align with me. Uh, just the, the vibe of the community, their um, commitment to the, the outdoors, uh, and doing the right thing. Uh, very, I feel very fortunate to have been involved with starting that team. So you are known as a very uh, fan-friendly uh, uh, owner and businessman when it comes to your sports. Uh, what exactly can people expect? Uh, I'm going to come up to a house match this summer. I'm only a few hours from Chicago, and I've got plenty of friends there. What can I expect when I go to a house match? I think an intimate Right, you all aren't in Bridgeview now. You're playing in Chicago proper, correct? Correct. We'll be playing at the Fall College Prep at um, uh, on the north side on Addison and Rockwell. Uh, it's a nice little venue, uh, nice decent amenities. Um, so you'll have that. And then the players, they have some good soccer. It must primarily really has some good teams. And... Um, Future pros and some former pros on our roster. We lost seven players this last off season to the pros, and that's the, the quality of the play you have. And then we've reloaded. We'll have more uh, future pros. We train more than any other amateur team in the country. Yeah, I know that you have a vision for the whole league kind of being a path to pro of sorts. Absolutely, and we've got a great head coach, Matt Poland, and. Uh, so the players are good, they work hard, they train hard, they play hard, and they're also very fan-friendly. They'll sign autographs after the games, they'll talk to fans. Um, they're in the community, they're uh, volunteering for nonprofit organizations. We do fundraisers for nonprofits. We're doing one right now, auctioning off those Open Cup jerseys for um, 
Ronald McDonald's house. Uh, so it, it's kind of a family atmosphere. It, it's not corporate. Uh, it's a little bit like minor league baseball in that sense. So I, I think it'll be a good experience. It won't be the same experience that you'll get at a fire game, uh, maybe for better and worse. Well, the nice thing is with a market that size and a different price point, there's no reason people can't enjoy both. That's right. Our tickets are $10. Uh, parking is free. And um, it's very affordable. You can take the whole family for under 50 bucks, uh, depending on the size of the family, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> My gas costs be a little bit more than the tickets, I think, but it'd still be worth it. So in terms of promotions, I realize you may not necessarily do any uh, Bill Veek type of things, but I still want to ask this one. Um, if if you had to run a promotion where you were blowing up music, what kind of music would you destroy? <laughs> That's a great question. It reminds me of the old, the old line. I like both kinds of music, country and western. I love that one. <laughs> uh, I do like a lot of music across the board. Um, boy, I, I've even come to like country and western music. Uh, so I feel bad saying that. And I would not blow up disco. Um, obviously... I'm a huge Bill Beck fan and a Mike Beck fan and a Steve Dahl fan. And I, I, I think uh, they've taken more, I'll say, crap about disco demolition than they deserve. In some ways, it was the best promotion ever. Other ways, it was the worst promotion ever. Well, they had to forfeit a game. I don't, but, you know, on the other hand, they got their, uh, you know, they got their celebrity out of it. <laughs> well, they also got 60, 70, 80,000 people to show up to a venue that only seats 45,000. Well, at 98 cents, I mean, even in the 80s, that was quite a price. It really was. And I, I yeah, so what kind of music? Yeah, I, I was going to lean into something like uh, Tibetan throat music. I, oh, Mongolian throat singing. That's an excellent call. I was going to say Albanian folk music, anything with accordion that's too prominent. It's sort of like enjoying a uh, coffee with no cream. You want that bitterness some kind. You want to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is a harder question you ask me than uh, which of my clubs would I drown? Because um, I like all music. I, and I like um, uh, Tibetan Mongolian throat music. I even uh, wrote a column about a performance of Mongolian throat singers that uh, I, I saw at a neighborhood school uh, a couple blocks from my house this was a decade ago oh i would so go to that the physiology is fascinating it really is i'll send you the article i wrote um on the way we met through twitter oh uh, my gosh that would be wonderful we're done here but um yeah no uh, all right do you, do you have a favorite house music artist house music would live forever i i, I mean i House music, and I'll be honest, I didn't understand the history of it as well as I should have before we started the team. Um, it was 
brought to me by Brian Costin in terms of uh, the idea of it, and I've really grown to appreciate and love it. So um, that may implicitly answer my next question then. Can you do the Melbourne Shuffle or can you jack? <laughs> no. Uh, I, I, sadly, uh, I can do neither. I, I, I don't even know what the Melbourne Shuffle looks like, so you can lie to me about that even in a video. All right, uh, co-host for our show is my 10-year-old daughter, Person Noob. It's a branding issue, even though she's been doing it a year and a half. She's comparatively new to being alive, just like I am new to soccer. But uh, I pepper, I had her give me a couple questions, if you don't mind, that she would like to ask you when I was taking her to school before we did the interview. She would like to know what kind of candy you like. Oh, I'm a big Mars Bar fan. Okay, so Mars Bars... <laughs> Uh, first of all, they, they, they're delicious. Um, they've got uh, caramel, they've got chocolate, uh, no nuts. Um, uh, uh, and I'm a big fan. And I have to admit, part of the reason I'm a big fan of Mars bars is that in the United States, they're really hard to find. They are. I, I, I know they make them, but I can't think of the last time I saw one. They do not make them in the United States, so the only way you can get one is imported. Uh, they make them in Canada, the UK, um, uh, I think Australia, the, the rest of the world, uh, but they do not make them in the United States. So um, she will have to go to uh, an import store, uh, or like sometimes you go to an Irish import store and they sell various Irish candies. We'll have Mars bars there. Anything named the Botany Bay might have it. That's fair. <laughs> uh, she had uh, she had uh, bacon that she made herself for breakfast and uh, hard boiled eggs. She would like to know what you had for breakfast today. Well, I'm jealous. First of all, I, I've yet to eat breakfast, but I'm driving it in my car. I have a banana and a clementine. Clementines are like small oranges, uh, so that's what I have for breakfast. If I had my druthers, I would have um, Nooski's Bacon. Nooski's is, I believe, a Wisconsin brand of um, smoked meats, including their uh, applewood smoked uh, bacon. And then I'd have their corned beef hash. Oh. Nooski's corned beef hash is delicious. It's That's... Not good for you. That sounds wonderful. All right, this one is sort of a combination question from me and my daughter. She wants to know if you would ever start a volleyball team. And I noticed, uh, uh, looking just a few tweets down from you, that there was a cricket reference. Uh, what other sports would you ever consider uh, uh, starting a team for or getting involved in league management with? Cricket is absolutely one of them. A good friend of mine, former colleague, Tom Dunmore, is running the marketing for the new Major League Cricket, which launches this summer. Uh, but two sports I would love to get involved in, but it'll never happen. Uh, and you've probably never heard of either. One is Takraw. It's a Southeast Asian sport that I'll describe in a minute. And the other is Kabaddi. Uh, Kabaddi, I know, yeah. Not the other one. Kabaddi is a national sport of Pakistan. It's also popular in India. As you know, uh, Matthew, Kabaddi is a 6v6 sport played on uh, a volleyball court size surface, uh, no net, and um, 
one player on one on the attacking team runs into the zone of the defending team, tries to touch the ground behind a line and run back without getting tackled, and he holds his breath the whole time while chanting, Kamadi, 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 to prove he's holding his breath. It's a bizarre sport. It sounds like um, a kind of professional uh, Red Rover. I've seen that sport. It is it is wild and unusual. I absolutely that's why we started talking about soccer on this show, or why we decided to do it to begin with, and I accepted that bet was we really just wanted to learn all about the world through the lens of soccer. Soccer was our excuse. I love it. So yeah, you should start a, a podcast about Kabaddi and I'll start a pro Kabaddi League in the United States. And the next one is Takra. Takra, uh, I believe Thailand is where it's very popular. It's essentially volleyball without using your hands. So it's a little bit lower net than volleyball. And the ball, instead of a volleyball, is smaller, about the size of a 16-inch softball. And then it's made of wicker. So it's a hard uh, ball. Uh, And the players, I think it's two-on-two usually, it's a full game of bicycle kicks. They can use their head. I think they can use their shoulders, their knees, and their feet, but they cannot use their hands. I've seen a loose variation of this sport where it's uh, on a uh, cur- uh, curved-at-the-end ping-pong table uh, that it that gets played in America. I can't remember what they call it, but people are doing bicycle kicks and hitting it with their heads. They can use anything but their hands, but it's on an oversized ping-pong table that's curved at the end. So there are just all kinds of crazy sports out there. Yeah, that sport I've helped with. There's, it's, it's, uh, Get out of here! <laughs> yeah, um, it, it's strong in, in, in California. It, it has a little presence in the Chicago area, an annual tournament that I've been to, actually. Uh, but, yeah, Takra is spelled T-A-C-R-A-W. Uh, same thing. Okay, I'll give you a third one. Judosa. J-U-D-O-S-E. It's a huge game in sport in China. Uh, in fact, because it's China, probably more people play Judosa than play hockey. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> there's, a, there's a billion people in China that sure. have played Judosa. It, it started as a children's game uh, where two kids are standing in a circle and they hold one leg behind their back and um, they try to bump the opponent out of the circle without falling down or, or you know, losing hold of their, their other leg. So you're hopping on one leg, bumping into the opponent, and whoever is the last man or woman standing uh, is the winner. Uh, it's since been taken to a professional level and so there is a, a professional judosa league in uh, in China. I had someone ask me to help them start a federation in the United States. Um, at the time, I was asking uh, money for my services, and they didn't deem it worthy. So I don't know how that turned out. I haven't seen a national TV 
I've been waiting to make an Ocho reference. Nice work. <laughs> where it fell on that spectrum. Yeah, it's, it's less, it's more baseball than cricket is. So uh, if you like baseball, I think you'll like this one. I also wrote, when I was writing a weekly columns uh, a decade ago, I wrote one about world sports that aren't uh, the traditional ones that we think of as being traditional. So I'll send you that article as well. If your listeners are interested in um, to cry and to body, they'll be interested in this article. Oh, my goodness. Well, I certainly am, if nothing else, but I think they will be, too. I have a feeling I'm running hard up against the uh, the time for your drive, so I want to get to a couple rapid-fire ones here at the very end that I promise are very easy. Um, Richmond, Kentucky's got about 30,000 people, probably 70,000 in the uh, surrounding counties minus Lexington. Um I don't know if Kentucky is in Region 2 or not, but do you think this is the size of town that could support uh, a Midwest Premier League team, or would it be more like a, a League 2 with, with uh, college players? Uh, no, I absolutely could support uh, a regional uh, team. Um, like the, and I'm a big believer that the, the, the structure should determine – uh, the level uh, by experience, and that's where promotion and relegation comes in, right? Right. And you know, we look at the Green Bay Packers. There's Green Bay, a town of about 125,000, is supporting an NFL team. If, if that can happen, then Richmond, Kentucky, can support a uh, Midwest Premier League level team. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Um, okay, second question, unrelated. Um, who would I talk to in your organization about getting a rate sheet in case I ever come into money and we wanted to put our giant plushy ball logo on Chicago house shirts? Oh, you can talk to me about that or Brian Koenig. Brian Koenig is our uh, chief operating officer, and um, uh, he does – we all wear a lot of hats. I think uh, he – May wear more hats than anybody. So um, you can reach out to him at uh, on Twitter, and you can find him on the Chicago House thread. All right, that is awesome. And then one fi- one final question for you that we ask of all our guests, and you can have as much you can have as much fun or be as short with this as you want. Uh, Peter Weld of Chicago House AC, uh, can we be best friends? Absolutely. Woo! BFF. Best friends forever. Best football friends forever. B F F F. That's a lot of Fs, but I'm writing it. I'm writing them all down. Uh, Mr. Wilt, Peter, 
I am just in absolute awe that you were able to find some time for a sort of a hopefully burgeoning soccer show. Only been around for a year and a half. We, I know you're a fan friendly guy, and everything to promote the game is is great. I have a confession. Uh, when we covered, when I mini previewed your match for the U.S. Open Cup last week, it was somewhat of an arbitrary decision. I didn't have any idea whether to pick one team versus another, so I picked your game because Bavarian United were the reigning amateur champions. <laughs> but but serendipity, now I'm a Chicago House fan all of a sudden, so go figure. That's awesome. I enjoyed your questions and your comments and the fact that we can relate generationally meant a lot to me. Thank you. Indeed. Thank you very much. All right. Also, a little side note. Um, I was so into the interview, I missed my exit. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, I don't want to make you any later than that than we already than, than we already have. So, uh, well, my goodness! I mean, no offense, forward Madison. We love we love the marketing that they've done up there. It's one of our favorite teams to just follow on social media. But good luck to Chicago House and the U.S. Open Cup this weekend. This has been rich, rewarding, and smelled very much of mahogany. Thanks, Mr. Rell. Have a super day. You too. Bye-bye. And before we get into our second Chicago House interview, yes, we actually had two volunteers for coming on. Freaky Sneaky. Let me make my thank yous right now, and then we'll go into the second interview, and then it'll be somewhat abrupt ending to the episode since it's been far and away the longest one ever. Thank you very much to he is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry to Dan the Interno Inferno for all of his creative efforts and inspiration, which are always in fuego to my daughter, the recent birthday girl, now my 11 year old co-host. Thank you so much for everything you do for the show. Kisses for you. No kisses for you though, listeners. That would be awkward. But we do want to say thank you to you for finding us, uh, bearing through all the silliness. We hope you've had a lot of fun, done a lot of learning, and that you will consider passing us on to your footy-minded friends. And now, our second interview to learn even more about Chicago House. Hey, a noob will take all the help and information from any sources that are willing to step up. And now, if you thought I was lacking a little bit of knowledge on Forward Madison, hey, I'm a noob. I found what I could, and you're going to have to take what you can get. But you know what? You go, uh, quote-unquote, down a division to the Midwest Premier League, where their uh, visitors are from today, Chicago House, and it's a little bit harder to uh, to grab knowledge uh, by oneself on the interwebs. So what better way to do it than to actually invite a knowledgeable soccer guest? Who have we tricked today? Why, it's our uh, it's our new uh, Twitter friend and acquaintance, Adnan, who writes for the uh, online sports magazine, uh, Vavil. Do I have all that right, Adnan? Correcto Mundo. How are you doing? I am doing well today. I am noob. All right. That, that, that ends my part two. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'd like to wish That's the answer. Noob is now an adjective. It's like it's like Smurf from back in the 80s. It serves in uh, it serves in all ways. 
Okay. So, I've, Adnan, not... you've, uh, you've got a few days off from your uh, regular job. Uh, like most guests here, I'm going to guess that at some point uh, I talked to your gatekeeper and that your gatekeeper thought that I said that I was from Soccer News, N-E-W-S, and not Soccer Noob, N-O-O-B. Is that a point of contention that uh, that you've run into yet? Is that anything you've been confused about? Not in the slightest. I just saw a tweet where it's, hey, does anyone know anything about the house? And I looked at that and I thought, you know what? I think I kind of do. I, I can help out a, a fellow content creator. And then I, 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 I messaged you and here we are now. And here, well, that, that's good because we've had to uh, we've had to pay off some people after they thought that we were something larger called Soccer News. I won't say that we named the show that on purpose in order to uh, we're not the authors of confusion here, but sometimes it just happens anyway on the noob on hey, the noob program. All right, gaslighting so, works. I'm sorry, first <laughs> gaslighting joke of the day. Hopefully, there the you last. go. <laughs> All right, so Chicago House they got their first win over. They beat Bavarian United in the first round of the U.S. Open Cup proper. What's right, interesting? Oh, go ahead. No, I was you. You may you might tie into this later on, but the fun thing about the house is that they had to go through the hellscape that I, I call U.S. Open Cup qualifying, where they had to win three games just to get to the Open Cup proper. I have the list of teams in one of my articles. I gotta find it here though. Uh, watching U.S. Open Cup qualifying is an experience within itself. Let me find this real quick. It is not in this article. But you know what? It, it's beside the point. They won the first game on penalties. They won the second game by a goal. They won the third game on penalties. I The match was streamed on Facebook Live. The, the stream became vertical at some stage. The overtime <laughs> period was cut short because the, uh, the, vis- the host team – didn't want to pay for the lights, so overtime was only 20 minutes instead of 30 minutes. And then, of course, the penalty shootout went to, like, the 10th round to the point where it was so dark you could barely see anything. I did not know for sure the house had won until I saw the players celebrating. And that led to the game against Bavarian, which I know is, like, the the more of the focus here because it's the most recent game. It was against another Midwest Premier League side. I apologize. I'm just – I'm doing what Peter Walt does, where if you ask him one question, he just kind of segues into a million things, and you kind of lose track of what the original point was. <laughs> Stop well, me if I'm getting ahead of myself. If it, if it weren't fun and like that, then uh, uh, we probably wouldn't do the show at all. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I'll, I'll I know so little about soccer. I probably don't know all the questions to ask. So literally anything that you have to offer up will be new knowledge to me as well as entertaining. Let me ask about the, uh, even if you don't have the names right in front of you with the qualifying I don't know how many rounds there are for the qualifying for these amateur and some of the semi-pro teams. You said they had to do three. So did they enter back at the very, very first qualifying round or were there teams from the United States that had to enter the qualifying round even earlier than Chicago House? No, I believe the House were actually in the very first round of qualifying because this is their first year competing in the Cup and they even had to apply to join the the U.S. Open Cup qualifiers. I remember... Peter Walt told me that was news to him. More like he was excited about the fact that they had sent an application just to be in the Open Cup qualifiers. <laughs> so they are very much at the very beginning. They weren't even in the Open Cup qualifiers. They had to, you know, get a spot in there. Um, I do have it. It was FC 1927 in the very first game, and then F- FC Metro in the second before a final matchup with Brockton FC United. And that's just the magic of lower league soccer. You get names like that. 
Yeah, are these uh, are these local uh, Chicago area teams, or did teams no. have to do any traveling? And what level are they at compared to the house? You wouldn't you wouldn't believe it, but uh, I was I believe it was the last uh, house Open Cup game was in Maryland, or no, it was in Boston, Massachusetts, for some reason, quote unquote local U.S. Open Cup competition, and a amateur team like the house had to make the trek all the way to Massachusetts just for this qualifying game. I believe the first one was nearby against FC. I think they're maybe like one of the nearby states, like Indiana, Wisconsin. And then I know Metro is a team from Louisville. So, you know, it's still a bit of a travel date. It's not as far as obviously Massachusetts, but it is a bit of a travel. Yeah, that, the, yeah, that Boston is a heck of a, uh, yeah. it's a heck of a bus ride, I'll bet. That, it's, it's, I, think, I think the house, thankfully, were able to fly out, but I don't know how, like, what effect that had on the club's budgeting, especially as like a, a non-league quote-unquote side. Oh, it's uh, probably all that Peter Wilt money. He just gave a, he just cut one of his cabana boys and was able to charter a flight, I'll bet. Hey, if he wants to send me $20, I'm not going to say no, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but yeah, the quality of play, uh, every house game was very close. So I think, at least in the... I, it was FC Metro looked better early on against them, especially. I wasn't able to watch the, the initial game, but the house only equalized in stoppage time via penalty and then won by the shootout. So, like, that was obviously a close game. The Metro game I watched, Metro looked better at some stages, but the house kind of squeaked one by them. And then the Brockton game was pretty back and forth, which was nice. The house won again on penalties. Those were – I. It's hard to judge quality. I'd assume just based on how the games went, all the sides were very even. I don't know what leagues those other teams play in. Maybe it's their like local amateur league, like how the house are in the Midwest Premier League, for example. The The highest competition was obviously the most recent game against the Bavarian, who are the National Amateur Cup champions. The It's, it's harsh to say the house were second best on the night. I think I put that in my article, to be fair. But you can kind of tell that the house were playing more defensive, letting Bavarian have more of the ball because that's what it was expected of the contest. Yeah, did Bavarian they get their of, only gal? Uh, did they get their – their? because that was a, a 1-0 win, if memory serves. Did they get their goal on a counter? Set piece, actually, which is very funny. It was a, a very Jose Mourinho-esque uh, defensive performance from the house. They didn't, like, bunker. They didn't completely give up. They had a few chances. They had the ball themselves. But, like, it was kind of – in terms of the flow of the game, quote-unquote, for most of it, it was kind of 60-40 Bavarian – and then at the end, the house did the smart thing. They packed everyone back. They made it frustrating for Bavarian. And they they didn't give up too many chances, actually. I think there was there was one big one at the end. There was a double save at the very end. But other than that, like, the house obviously stood their ground. And they definitely weren't lucky to win. Like, they, we, they deserved it for their efforts on the night, which was good. And even if they were to any degree parking the bus, and it doesn't sound like it totally went that way, we've still seen plenty of teams in plenty of levels local high-end club international where you know a team parks the bus in front of the net and uh still gets thrashed so you still gotta play the game and i think uh, going in as a bit of an underdog maybe and you know being able to get a win in that fashion is part of what makes the sport really really special i'm sure bavaria were incredibly disappointed after because uh you know, they should have been the favorite against just about anybody uh, here in the uh, first round of the event proper, given I think you might have mentioned it, uh, just in case not, Bavarian United, and they're out of Milwaukee, is that right? Correct. They won, the, uh, am- they won the U.S. Uh, Amateur National Championship. Yep. Um, so they got an automatic uh, spot in the Open Cup, I know. So Didn't instead of having to go, go through, through qualifying, qualifying get like right. they, they walk into this. 
And yeah, I mean, there it's a good. This could be a rival. I don't know how long they'll stay in like the the same league, but they played to a one-one draw at the end of the Premier League season last time out. They obviously had a close game here. They'll pro- they'll almost certainly face off again in the the Premier League this year. Uh, Bavarian won the Midwest Premier League in 2022, so they are a good team, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, I, I could actually as I was walking to the house locker room post game, I walked by a few of the Bavarian players, and they were just frustrated. Not in the fact that like they felt slighted or unlucky, but I think they're more disappointed with themselves because the house really crammed the middle where they didn't let the Bavarians play through the middle, obviously. So they have to go out wide and lump and crosses, but that kind of just fed into what the house wanted. So the Bavarian, instead of trying to play their game and do what they know best, they kind of settled for what the house was giving them. And when it didn't work, they were like, ah, oh, man, maybe that wasn't the best idea. You know, we kind of kind of wasted like a lot of time here. And by the end, it was too late and they, they were knocked out. Sounds like a fun one. Now, are you going to be able to attend or are are we able to watch on Facebook Live or somewhere else uh, the game with Forward Madison? That won't be on ESPN Plus, will it, since they're a League One team? No. Um, the Bleacher Report Live slash the Bleacher Report app, I believe, is broadcasting games. I don't think it's every one of them because I've seen some people on Twitter angry about how the Open Cup has done it. But I'm almost certain this Madison game should be broadcasted because, you know, they're, they're a league one side. They have a bit more in terms of broadcasting and money and stuff like that to run the game. So it should be able to be streamed live on the Internet for free, potentially. I, I don't think they're being charged for it. I fortunately will be able to make the drive up. I think it's, it's only two hours, so I'm off. From, I made sure I'm off from work that day. So I'll make the trek up to Madison and hopefully I should be able to cover the game for the press box. I don't think I'll get denied. That would be kind of odd, but you know, we'll we'll move on for I especially shouldn't get denied after this appearance. Come on, I'm a I'm a big time journalist now from from doing a podcast like this. Yeah, I'm about six and a half hours away. So I wish I could go, but that is a little bit of a haul, especially oh, yeah. on a especially on a weekday. I just got a new radio gig myself and I can't ask for that kind of time off quite that quickly, especially unfortunately, even for the US Open Cup, since what I'm doing is not directly sports related for that, at least not yet. But you are for uh Vavil. Real quick, let's take a break from the house and step back. What do you what is it that you write about for Vavil? So now I primarily focus on the Chicago Fire. They're the ones that have their games every week televised or, you know, they're a bigger side than the house are. So they get more they more viewers. I am accredited, which is nice for the Fire. So I'm at Soldier Field for all the home games. I cover their away games, of course, you know, match previews, match reports, articles during the week if I have time for like analysis. Uh, so they've been like the main bits of my, my writing. I do cover the house. I covered them extensively when they were in NISA. So when they were playing like pro level games and stuff like that, when there was more information available, I did not cover them when they were in the Midwest Premier League, just because, you know, that, that that's difficult, but I have covered, I believe each of the last three open cup games. So I'll definitely have all the open cup coverage of the house and I'll have like intermittent update articles about what they're doing, what league they'll play and how's the player acquisition stuff going. I don't think I'll be able to cover them much, unfortunately, in the, the Premier League again this season, just because I have the fire as a priority because they get more viewers. But that's been the cut of, cut of the jib. I've been covering some European soccer back in the day. I, I still want to write about, like, Werder Bremen in the Bundesliga. That's still my main team. But for now, it's it's mainly fire stuff. That team is wild. They've got so much going on all the time. Sure. So at least I have content to write about. Well, but that makes nice sense game. with them being in Major League Soccer. And I'm sure if House continue on a run, that whether you can go to the games or not, you will be uh, probably providing them coverage during the Open Cup at the very least, I would imagine. Correct. Yeah, that, of course. That, that's nice. 
All right. So you mentioned that the House uh, that they uh, that they very much ran the middle against Bavarian, but probably, as you said, maybe uh, you know we're outplayed a little bit. Sixty forty. This is a real step up for those who don't know. By the way, who are listening to the program, um, NISA that he mentioned before, um, National Independent Soccer Association, is a Division Three league. If memory serves, within the unofficial American Soccer Pyramid, Midwest Premier League. Things get even less official once you get below level three, but I'm going to guess that it's safe to say that they are the next, uh, they are the next level down the pyramid, and not any further down from that. So that the competition is relatively uh, close. But then you have League One, which is also Tier Three, and yet I have the impression that is a stronger and more professionalized uh, level or uh, or type of play and organization that maybe Nice is. Uh, would you find all of that to be fair, or do you think I've missed the mark on any portion of that? No, yeah, Madison's obviously going to be a huge jump up in quality. They are pro-level players. They're getting paid pro-level salaries. The House are still, I think, an amateur team. I think everyone is unpaid in terms of, like, the coaching and staff. I, I, I'll probably get that wrong. Someone's probably getting some paid somewhere. And I'm not getting paid. I'm kidding. I'll stop making jokes about me not getting money. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a, a jump up in quality for sure. It's a, a USL League One side. I think USL is like Championship League One, League Two. So even then, like Madison's still a better USL team in comparison. I there might be a, a national amateur league in between League Two and where like the house are in terms of a local amateur league. I'm not too sure about the whole pyramid, unfortunately. I'd love an open pyramid like everyone with the house does. I know there was a a hashtag pro. Um, I forgot exactly what it said, but it was a in favor of promotion relegation. There was a banner at the house game. So that, that was cool to see. But yeah, yeah this for is, right now, I know things get a little bit sketchier as far as a pyramid, because when you're talking about leagues like League Two at Division Four level, you're talking about uh, somewhat of an abbreviated season, I would say loosely analogous to like uh, rookie ball in minor league baseball, where it's, it's an abbreviated season. I know League Two is largely college kids or, or kids not too far out of college who may or may not even be angling for you know, a pro contract. Whereas I understand, even though there are a low level, lower level league, the Midwest premier league, that a lot of those players are moving on into uh, places like league one, you know, professional ranks. Yes. Um, the house have actually made that a, a focus of their club, getting players from the house to, you know, pro level, they call it path to pro. They lost, I, I believe it's so, so Kim. He was a key part in the qualifying run. He moved on to, I believe a USL, it was definitely a USL team. I don't know if it was one, two, or a championship. They have the biggest success story is probably Ian Saro, who I think is at the USL championship level now. He played for them in NISA and then left after the house had to leave NISA. But yeah, the house have definitely had a lot of players move on. I think one guy went to the Australian League, which was nice for him. So they're the house are trying to prove that they can be a gateway to the pros, which is only going to help them with player recruitment. Because if you're playing, you see another player go from the house to the pros, you're thinking, hey, I can do that too, you know. And you'll join the house and they're on their fourth. Who are some of the play? What are some of the types of players like age wise or, you know, uh, I don't want to say ability wise, that's too vague. But, you know, are these largely kids that played at college? Are they kids who are trying to get college scholarships or are these are these uh, athletes of all ages, uh, you know, from the area that are largely playing? Who are we uh, who are we actually looking at on the field and who are one or two of the real key players for this game? So it's definitely not as young as you may think for the house. I don't know, unfortunately, the, the entire bit of the roster because it, it's a lot of chopping and changing as like the months go on, especially from this past winter. I know they have two players 
at least there might be a third that I'm missing that were a part of that NISA team. So there's the club captain, A.R. Smith. I believe he plays out wide. He'll be a key player in terms of the house trying to get a result. Not necessarily, because he, he is an attacking player, but he won't get much of the ball. So he's going to be vital in like transition, either trying to carve out an opportunity on the break, or if the house do get the ball, kind of, as I like to say, like standing on it, holding possession, trying to survive like five minutes, trying to play some possession, you know, keep the ball, but so you're not chasing it the entire game. And then there's Danny Almazon. Should be Danny. I, I don't think it's Daniel. He was uh, the youngest player, actually, back when they were in Nisa. And he is historic because he was his signing was the first time a team played paid solidary payments where the house paid the academy team that Almazon came from, which was cool to see. He's very good on the ball, very technical. It'll be important for him to make the most of his chances on the ball because I'm not expecting the house to get much of the ball. They didn't have much possession against Bavarian. I would expect that to be even less against Ford Madison. Those yeah, it would two. take a real change in style of play for them to try to uh, affect that. So they'll be uh, probably uh, hanging back on defense a little bit more, uh, maybe looking to score again on some sort of set piece. Uh, I don't know if they're – are they a counterattacking team in your estimation? They hit a, a few times on the counter. I don't know if that's what they're naturally best at. Um, they have Adam Mann, a, a British player, which is, is interesting. He came over from the U.K., He's the man up top, and this last game he was fighting a lot in terms of just trying to hold the ball, trying to press the opposition, very much a workhorse kind of performance. Not necessarily quickest. I don't think the, the house have, like, the most speed on the outsides. So it's going to be less of, like, just flying for it on the counter, more of being kind of tactical with your passes. Um, the big thing will be there's the trio at the back. Obviously, they'll be the ones most under pressure. There's goalkeeper Tony Halterman, who was praised a lot at the end of the game because he made the big double save. He did get fortunate at one point because, I don't know if you saw the clip on Twitter, but at one point he just he fumbled across and he just pulled down a Bavarian player in the penalty area. But thankfully that wasn't given because like a few seconds beforehand he had been fouled by a Bavarian player first where like the Bavarian player tried to kick the ball while Hodmer was trying to grab it. He kicked him on the arm. It was a foul. So that was a big break for him. And then he, he made up for it at the end, especially with the big double save. And then you have the center back pairing of Nas Kabani. And it's a Polish last name, so I'm going to struggle like I told you in the pre-match talk. <laughs> John Makowitschki. I believe I'm saying oh, that correct. Oh, Smith. Sorry? I said you mean Smith. That, I'm sure. sure that's how that's pronounced, right? Definitely. That, that, that's definitely why the IEC is in there for sure. No, they were the center backs. They did a good job. They actually created the goal on the set piece where Kabani headed it toward uh, Makowitschki. They actually tried a similar play later on where it was a different player heading it on to someone else or to heading it on to Makowetsky. So hopefully the house will have a set-piece player to sign up for this game because that will be their best chance of grabbing a goal. But they'll be key, obviously, as a center-back pairing. They were they dealt with all the, the clearances that came their way. I think there was one shaky moment at the beginning. Um, I don't remember who it was, but there was a house defender that slipped while trying to clear it, and he hit it right to a, an opposing player. But the save was made anyway, so it didn't really matter too much. They're going to have to deal with a lot of balls hit into the area, especially if the house was the same way. So they will be the key guys, especially at the back. And then the guys I mentioned earlier on the counter or whenever the house do get the ball, those will kind of be like your ones to watch. I know Matt Poland, the head coach, had uh, messaged me about, I got to find the, the first name real quick, but there's a midfielder named Wynn. Let me figure it out. Aaron Wynn. He, he told me he was someone to keep an eye out for in the Bavarian game. He's a midfielder. I don't know if he was able to do too much because obviously the house didn't have much possession, but if he's able to get on the ball more, he might be able to put in a good showcase for himself and for the team. 
So yeah, but it, it will be a challenge, obviously. Yeah, like, it's hard to imagine forward Madison giving giving up the middle, even if they would prefer, let's say, in League One play to work on the wings. And I don't know if that'll be the case or not, but I have a hard time thinking the forward Madison, even if they would prefer to work that way, would simply uh, quote unquote give up the middle and and any kind of non counterattack yeah. uh, goal possibilities um, to the house. At least that's the way I'm imagining it. They will they will have the ball. Long story short, they will have the ball. Indeed. Well, here's to hoping that the house can uh, get some long balls, get a few of those precision passes, maybe through the middle, as you mentioned before. You know, maybe get you know some you know three on two or four on three, get something on a break, and get a win. Um, Mr. Wilt's interview uh, that I recorded with him is coming up next, but I'm going to make mention of it now anyway. I am such an unabashedly uh, biased house fan now because my interactions with you know those of you who are with the house or affiliated with the house, covering the house, just instantly on Twitter were engaging like absolutely crazy, including you. And we're so appreciative of that because noob, not just a character. (laughs) It truly is my life. My little kid and I, she's in school right now as we record this, but, uh, we, we just literally, you know, don't know the game and we're trying to learn the whole world at once. We call it soccer new rock in America as a joke. And we lean a little bit American, but we actually do everything from all over the world. But now we know we're going to stay. We've uh, last year, we did uh, the top three tiers in American soccer. Now we have a a huge happy excuse, uh, you know, to uh, do stuff in the Midwest league. We actually, we decided to do the Chicago house match for a preview last time. Because we just arbitrarily decided, well, Bavarian United, look at them. They were the national amateur champions, and we don't have any other reason to select one game or another. So let's go with that. And now all of a sudden, it was the house people that were engaging like crazy. And here they are. They got the the mild upset, got past Bavarian, and now they get to play uh, the salaried Flamingos. I think that's their official nickname of uh, Forward Madison. That's definitely so, correct. We're, we're definitely we're, wouldn't argue that at all. I, I love that. To be fair, I'll put that in the article. Can I, uh, not to go too far afield, Adnan, but flamingos pee on themselves. Okay, thank you. Uh, you know, at the very least, I'll, I'll have learned something from this appearance, which is nice. That'll be <laughs> my main takeaway. They're beautiful, today. but they're dirty, dirty animals. I was able to provide insight, and then you returned some insight to me, so I, I feel like we're at an even trade here. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll be thinking about that later today when I'm, it's like 7 p.m. and I'm just doing uh, something Thank you different. so much for all the information you were able to provide us about the house because uh, I have notes in front of me when I tried to do the preview on my own and I had four half lines for Chicago House basically based on their founding and a little bit on what they've done for Bavarian. But now me and the listeners, I know some are veteran and some are burgeoning fans like me. And I think it's safe to say that probably none of us outside of the people who are listening because they know you were going to be on. We now know a bunch more about the house and learning, as they say, is half the battle. I don't know what war is being fought. Maybe it's just against ignorance, but but learning is half the battle. That's and how so, I felt in, in high school science classes. It certainly felt like a battle. <laughs> it certainly felt like a war. Well, Adnan, we will continue to look for your work on the house, on the Chicago Fire, and anything else that you are writing. Uh, is it simply V-A-V-E-L.com? V-A-V-E-L, correct. And then it's at uh, A-D-N-A-N-B-A-S-I-C-19 on Twitter. Adnan Basic. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll quote tweet this uh, episode whenever it comes out. So if you want to follow me on there, 
Would appreciate all right, it. Final question as we bid you adieu then, which we ask uh, all of our both pretend and real guests from back in the blog days, as well as uh, uh, what we've asked Peter and every other live guest that we've had. Adnan, Chicago House coverage on Babel. Um, can we be best friends? Absolutely. I'm down. Yes. I, I'd, I'd always welcome another one to the circle. I, I won't tell you how the Peter Wilt answer went, but I, I am so excited to start off, quote unquote, this podcast one for one in that particular regard. Enjoy the U.S. Open Cup. Enjoy the MLS fire season. And thank you for joining us so much on the show. Thank you for having me. Have a good one.